right, everybody, as this is a bit of an epic of an episode compared to the ones we've been doing over the past six months or so, I am not going to do an outro. I'm combining the intro and the outro. I didn't even want to do an intro. I'm so anxious to just get this episode posted that I'm actually standing up as I'm recording this and kind of moving around my room. Can you hear me moving? Here we go. But intro, outro together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Eventually Super Train, episode 69. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Dan. You can find me at eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com. My email address is Danny Slacks, D-A-N-N-Y-S-L-A-C-K-S, at yahoo.com. This is the 69th episode, and I am your main host, Dan Budnick. This is the Short-Lived TV Show Podcast, which is found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Feel free to leave a review. Feel free to leave a rating. Everything helps. Addy Supertrain1 on Twitter, Eventually Supertrain on Facebook, and every episode, I'm joined generally by two to three guest hosts as we discuss three episodes of three different Short-Lived TV shows. You can find their information specifically for this episode Amy the Conqueror talking Erie Indiana with me Gore Blimey talking Man to Man with Dean Lerner with me and a brand new old show with a returning guest host find their info on eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com and as I said I am Dan I hope you had a great time listening to the episode I enjoyed making it I think it's a pretty good one a little lengthy but I don't think that should be problematic talk to you soon we start right off with Amy the Conqueror and myself going to Indiana Erie, Indiana. Good night. Better weird than dead. Episode 8, The Dead Letter, directed by Tim Hunter, written by James L. Crite, November 10th, 1991. The Erie Library is having some sort of sale. Marshall and Simon are there looking at books. Marshall sees a girl named Andrea who he likes. Simon kind of embarrasses Marshall, causing Marshall to nonchalantly, casually grab a book to act like he doesn't care. When he opens the book, he finds a letter from the 1920s, 29, I believe, addressed to a Mary Carter from a Trip McConnell. And it's never been mailed. So they kind of look at it and they begin to open it. And all of a sudden, pff, a very familiar looking young gentleman is suddenly appears sitting atop a huge case, like, I guess not a bookcase, but a huge shelving unity type thing, dressed very dapper, very sort of 20s. And he leaps down and he starts talking to them about the letter and how that Marshall and Simon, specifically Marshall, who he calls Mars, needs to help him deliver that letter. Marshall says, no way, takes off. Ah, Trip isn't terribly happy. When Marshall gets home, he finds that Trip is there, pretending to be a friend of his and pretending to be a gypsy. His family is fascinated. His family is absolutely in love with him. Marshall makes him go away. But they can't stop talking about Trip. They can't stop talking about Trip. And Marshall keeps seeing Trip in, in the backyard, in, in, in a broken plate, all over the place. That evening he has a dream, Marshall, where one Simon is like on a pedestal with a cigar kind of belittling him, and then his family are on a bicycle together talking about how much they love Trip. Then Trip appears in his dream and says, You gotta deliver the letter. So they go to Mary Carter's house, which is the house on the address of the letter, and they meet Mary Carter, who is Marshall's age, and also Trip's age. But that's not the right Mary Carter. This Mary Carter is about sixty-two years older, about seventy-five years old. 
and when she sees that it's a letter from Trip, she goes ape bananas on the boys and let's loose with a revelation which some of you may have figured out already suffice to say that they don't deliver the letter to her they get chased out of the house trip reappears and tells his story why the letter was never delivered why the one why he's up 13 14 and he's wanting them to deliver the letter to a 75 year old woman and so marshall and simon put operation lovesick to get these two together again into operation we'll spoil it as we go i just wanted to leave the main revelation which might be very obvious kind of open but we'll stop there let's join myself and amy the conqueror already in pre- no we're just starting all right everyone it's a dead letter episode eight of erie indiana uh and i have with me to chat the dead letter my good pal amy the conqueror amy how are you I'm good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, I am. I. Uh, I'm interested to uh, hear what you. I, I, I was going to say. I'm interested. I was just about to say. What do you think, or what do you say about this episode? And it came, almost came out. What do you stink? And I didn't mean to have that thought. <laughs> I do that sometimes. I'll, I'll I would have, hope I don't, but I don't I, know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, 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 some, I, don't, I don't know if you do that. I know Charlie does that on Podcast Mania because he did that the other night. Where you have two words you want to say and you have to choose between them in a moment. And you combine them and it comes out strange. <laughs> yep. so, 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 Amy, what did you think of The Dead Letter? Um, I thought it was okay. I mean, it wasn't the worst episode. It wasn't the best episode. There were things I liked and things I didn't. How about let's start, what, what didn't you like? Um, I was a little confused as to why automatically Marshall didn't like uh, Trip. Okay. Uh, that was one of my, my thoughts, too. Yeah, why, why he didn't, um, why, why he immediately is so, I mean, because he's a supernatural element, clearly. So why, why wouldn't Marshall right. immediately be like, oh my gosh, this is exciting. It takes him more than half the episode. Yeah, and he didn't seem like a bad guy, you know? No, and when you so, know who it is... It just... Yeah, and he's read, adorable. He's so. and, and that's, that's exactly what my wife said. I showed her this episode, and she said, <laughs> Is that? No way! And I was like, yeah, it's Spider-Man. Well, he's not just Spider-Man, but... Uh, you know that, it's, but yeah, it's friggin' Tobey Maguire, and it's awesome. And, and I mean, I'm not the biggest Tobey Maguire fan, but sure. he just—he's so cute. So he I is. was like, ah, he's so cute. <laughs> he is, he is, and he's so. And, it's, it, and there are um, some real sort of sweet and heartbreaking kind of moments in the episode. And he looks great in his um, oh 90, yeah, 1929 outfit. Um, was there anything else about this one that that just kind of got you the wrong way? The ending was it supposed to be a happy ending or? Um, I don't know. It's, yeah, yeah, you're right because at at the very ending and um, in the end, folks, they get together. The the couple are back together, but she has to die in order for that to happen. Yeah, and, and before that, she seems totally fine, and she's climbing out of windows. Yes. She's riding on handlebars. Yes. She is like living her life, and then next thing you know, and I'm like, wait, they're trying to play this off as a happy ending, kind of like, oh, they reunited, but they, to me, it was just kind of sad and didn't make much sense yeah it was because marshall says right at the very end he says we um we delivered a love letter like 62 years late and they had to die in order to get back together but better late than never yeah (laughs) i mean i guess in some respects yes i'm glad they didn't return as zombies or something like that but it, it, it is a bit strange because 
I, I'm, I'm wondering if it's almost like Trip told her, like, hey, you know, if you want to be together with me, you have to die. And she's like, well, okay, okay. why not? Why not? Why not? And and suddenly she's youthful forever or something like that. I, I don't know. But it is. It's, yeah, it's, she, she all of a sudden turned 13. Yes. And, if, yeah, and it's, it's an ending that's like, in some respects, it's really romantic and lovely. But it's also at the same time like, ooh, that's, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what to think of that. It, it that yeah. ends up being a bit weird. Um, yeah, and I know that times were different in 1929, but when you're 13, do you really know that's the person you're going to marry? And, yes. you know, they discuss that, and then, yeah, she dies and becomes 13. It, I'm like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting because, obviously, he's 13 because that's the age Marshall is, which, which makes sense until the more you think about it. I mean, this isn't like... Yeah, this isn't like a culture where, you know, at the age of 30, this is the end of the Roaring Twenties. Right. You know, this isn't a culture where you're you're beholden to someone at age 13. So it, it's, it's I, I actually feel, Amy, like this is one of those episodes where they weren't thinking that there were going to be two goofballs talking about it. Like, like 25, <laughs> 26 be. years later. And they just. Yeah, analyzing it yeah, yes. as adults for yeah, a kid's yeah. show. Yes. Yes. And they, they just sort of wrote it. And it's just, it's, it's not quite like stream of consciousness, but it's sort of like, I mean, there, there are even, there are these weird moments in it where, where like, it takes Marshall two thirds of the episode to realize the trip's a ghost. Yeah. What? How? Really? That's just see, where, where do you think it came from? What, what, you know, where. It's it's a bit of a weird, and then he puts up like garlic everywhere in the house. Yeah, we know that. Since when does that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's 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 a weird episode that the more you dwell on the, I don't want to call it minutia because I suppose it is important of how all this works, the less it works, I think. But if you just take it at face value. Then it 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 can it, this sort of it'll it'll roll on over you, right? But but then the more you think about it, the more it becomes like, huh? Yeah, I don't know about that one. Um, but now what what did you like about it? Um, I, I don't know if it's uh, I liked how even though it made no sense to me, I liked how Marshall's family immediately fell in love with Trip. That's they hilarious. didn't really explain that. They were just like, he's the best. We love him more than you. I know that was a dream sequence, mm -hmm. but came out of nowhere for me yeah, i'm like yeah. what kind of spell does this ghost have mm -hmm. whereas automatically marshall hates him and the family loves him <laughs> and it's like a like a charm spell yes. that he threw yes. on them or something because yeah they 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 instantly and my favorite moment is when marshall looks out the kitchen window sees trip and drops the plate and he's like trips out there and his mom rushes up and goes what trip trips out there hey everybody trips out there and <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 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 very funny and again i guess the more we talk about it this more the more this seems like this just the complete almost like the wackiest episode yeah it, just in terms of how the story's told because i um i'm sorry what what else what else uh, grabbed you about it um, was this the first episode where, like, is Trip the first person to call Marshall Mars, or have they been doing that and I just kind of forgot? Don't, I don't remember. I actually have Mars written down in my notes. I yeah, because all of a sudden he's calling him Mars, and then you Simon know. is doing it. And yeah, and, yeah. I really like this episode, and I think all the things you said that are confusing about it, I think you're absolutely right. I couldn't understand, yeah, why Marshall didn't immediately sort of 
wasn't immediately like he because he's like almost frightened and, and freaked out by him. But Bigfoot yeah. picks through his garbage. He had a, <laughs> he had a chat with Elvis the other day. The, a gal he loved uh, got the heart of a friend of his and became him, and then she died. Right, yeah. You, so you know, he lost two friends in that episode. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah, and and so his his reaction to trip in this, I think it takes it almost is is like it's almost written for someone who's not Marshall, like maybe mm-hmm. written for one of his family members or something like that. Because I don't, that's the one thing that bothered me was that that took too long, and and maybe is it a happy ending or not? I guess it's a bittersweet, yeah, um, ending. Um, but uh, yeah, but apart apart from that, I I, I really like the episode. I like Trip. I like Mary. I think she's com- both Marys, the young Mary and the older Mary. But the older Mary, I just find once she believes, um, because she's really belligerent be- before. Mm-hmm. Once yep. she, once she believes Marshall, she's game for anything, and I just loved it. I love yeah. that she, she's coming down the ladder. I loved her smile. She's got this huge smile. And yep. when she sees the bicycles, you got to be kidding me. And then there's almost like an E.T. kind of moment where she's on the handlebars and riding along and the music is playing. And it's and then the, the final scene where she sees Trip, and she's standing there in her nightgown, a woman of um, sev- se- 75 or so, who's been married five or six times. But he sees her as a 13-year-old girl. And my, my favorite moment in the episode is when the older Mary is approaching Trip. And you see Simon in the background, the world of stuff, standing by the jukebox. Um, Marshall is in the foreground, down a step or two. And she begins to walk towards Trip, who's off screen. And Marshall looks at her, and she looks at him and kind of smiles and nods. And then as she passes Marshall, she puts her arm, a hand on his arm, his shoulder, in kind of a mix of steadying herself and kind of like, thank you, uh, we, we've got it from here, you know. Don't worry, don't worry, and right. I, I, I can. That's one of those moments that I actually watched like six or seven times. I thought it was so lovely. Yeah, and the scene where they actually talk, "How have you been, Trip?" Well, I've been dead, Mary. Is I think <laughs> I, I think really great. Um, it's 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 an interesting episode because I, yeah, I say just let it, let it, uh, let it roll over you, let it, um, let it. Um, go over you don't do what amy and i did and overanalyze it and yes. in, fa- in fact <laughs> in fact i uh, don't even listen to the last 10 minutes of this podcast <laughs> maybe i'll put a warning at the beginning uh, watch dead letter first before you um hear us uh, uh dive into it maybe a little too far but i i think i think it's a, it's, a, it's a sweet episode that has some strange structure things going on but i do love that is it andrea fantucci Yes, <laughs> his, his, his the gal that Marshall and he got over it pretty quick. I mean, if this episode is after the previous one with Danielle Harris, he got over that pretty quick. And yeah. <laughs> um, I, I applaud you, Marshall. Um, and and that's one of those things I've said before with this show is it's in that space before continuity took over shows, but there still is continuity in Erie, Indiana. Yes. But this kind of makes it just feel weird that. If you watch it expecting continuity, oh, he, yeah, he got over her pretty quick. And he's looking at the new cute gal who's – what was she looking at? Like newspapers? Yeah, I thought 
I couldn't figure it out, actually. She okay. looked like she was at a card catalog to me, but I don't think that's yeah. what it was. <laughs> I don't know what she, she was looking at ancient parchments or something. I don't know. But she's, <laughs> she's, she's like the only one at the display of stuff. Uh, one of the things I love about it that I noticed the second time was that it's Marshall's interest in Andrea that causes everything in the episode to happen, including him meeting Andrea, because he's standing there kind of, Jaw, jaw drop looking at her and Simon is like um, oh you know you go, just go talk to her and, no I'm not going to do that and Simon kind of goes up and just says hey my friend wants to meet you and immediately you see Marshall in the background spin around grab a book open it up and then the next time you see Marshall he's holding up the letter that was in the book so sort of the wanting to link with Andrea as it were and I, I don't mean link in a naughty way i mean link in like meet her the the link between andrea and and trip is in the same sort of spot as it were because it's simon's yelling to andrea and him uh, marshall's embarrassment that causes him to get the letter to open the letter and reignite this 62 year old uh romance which ends with trip using i guess the last of his supernatural powers to get Marshall to meet Andrea by putting him on top of this huge shelf that he couldn't have <laughs> been on, which is, which is a sweet moment because that's where Trip appears. Right. So I, I, I like that. Um, and let, let me do it. Let me do a scan through my notes here to see what else we have. Uh, yeah. The family, the garlic, everything tastes like garlic. His, his dad is feeding them some sort of experimental coffee cake. Yeah. That's really <laughs> chewy. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see if I have anything else here. Uh, all right. I don't know. I mean, I think, I, I think it's, um, I think it's a sweet episode. That oh, what, what about Simon's mustache? Oh God, yeah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> That's fantastic because when he's they... a ten-year-old with a mustache, and she's kind of going <laughs> along with it. Like, um, have I met you before? <laughs> and it's, it's op- they, when they put Operation Lovesick into effect. Marshall, and I love Marshall has a ladder and he's climbing up the side of the house to get to the window where Mary is. While while Simon has a big fake like not quite Groucho Marx mustache, but almost a mustache on with a clipboard. And I like that he has a clipboard and a mustache, and that means that you answer his questions because it's a clipboard and a mustache, and that's that's the way these things work. And it is enough to distract her long enough. So I, I it's it's an interesting episode because it's. It's um it's alternately like a very sweet episode that just requires Marshall and Simon to get these two together. That's all that's required of them. But it throws in these little side things with Mary, old Mary being kind of crazy and Simon in the mustache and it throws in Andrea and it throws in the gypsy stuff with the family and it also throws in that what did you think of that dream sequence? <laughs> yeah, that was a little strange. <laughs> well, yeah, well, feel free to elaborate if, if you if you'd like. To. Well, you mentioned ET earlier, and that had an ET kind of feel, oh, yes. except they were on a triple bike, triple bike yeah. <laughs> and they were kind of in front of a moon, if I recall. Yes. Like, you know, his family pedaling along, telling him they like trip more than him. <laughs> <laughs> and th- that that didn't even occur to me that, although I should have that. If if most of the dream is kind of him, kind of as as would dream, sort of uh, reviewing his day and kind of general thoughts, that seems to portend the final race on the bicycles. Oh yeah. To which is kind of interesting because also 
two very interesting, and then I'll I'll stop yakking. Um, two very interesting things to me about it is um, that one trip gets into the dream, so it's meant to be Marshall's dream. It's it's Marshall's dream. It's a dream, but Trip actually steps into the dream to try to convince Marshall to help him, which is kind of a neat touch. He's not like Freddy Krueger. He's Toby Maguire. <laughs> he's freaking Spider Man. You know, yeah. but 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 he's it's, too, uh, he's too adorable. He's too adorable, especially with that hat. And yep. So he steps into the dream, which I like. The supernatural forces of Erie, Indiana, can even affect your dreams. Oh, and by the way, Trip gets hit by an Erie dairy truck which may come into play-ish sometime later, but not now. I just wanted right. to say it here. The second thing is, and this is an interesting moment, too, in that, do you know what moment I'm thinking of in the dream, Amy? I don't know. It is the mo- It was with Simon? No. Oh, so Simon's, yeah, Simon's standing on this pedestal, smoking this big stogie and kind of <laughs> lording himself over Marshall. And he's, you know, Simon, help me. No, Marshall, I'm sick of playing second banana on this show. And Marshall suddenly looks around, glimpses at the camera slightly and says, what show? Oh, boy. Ah, uh, yeah, that kind of went right past me. Is, is Erie, Indiana actually a show? I mean, it is a show. <laughs> it is a show. But, I mean, is it a show within a show? Right. You know, and that would make his dream a dream within the show within the show. I'm I'm going to stop there because <laughs> yeah, that's going to go you too just, far. You got my head spinning now. <laughs> so, I guess, I guess Amy, is there anything else with this episode? No, I think we got it covered. Cool. All right, so Amy, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Amy underscore the underscore conqueror. Excellent. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to ask you I'm going to ask you one more thing, uh, and then we're going to sign off this episode. Um, Spider-Man 3, thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, I actually didn't see that one. Oh, okay. I saw uh, one and two, and I enjoyed uh, them. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to say Spider-Man. I'm going to give it a thumbs up, and we're going to get out of here. Show? What show? Keep going! Live from his luxury penthouse apartment in London's glittering East End, Dean Lerner, club owner, entrepreneur, and publisher of high-class gentlemen's magazines, invites you to join him for an exclusive man-to-man. Hey, everybody, we're talking episode five of 2006's Man to Man with Dean Lerner, the episode that aired on November 17th, 2006, featuring as Dean's special guest, Amir Chanan, who is a sort of, uh, he's a master of the psychic arts, and we're going to talk a bit about him. But first, I want to introduce my wonderful guest, the great Gore Blimey. How are you, Gore? Hello, I'm good, thank you very much. Um, we're we're still having a bit of warm weather here, which is lovely. Oh. So I've been taking full advantage. Yeah, nice. I've been uh, I've been pruning my budlier, which is <laughs> which is you know good thing to do this kind of weather. Well, it is. It's a bit of a compromise because you you know you want to enjoy as much of the wildlife as you can, but at mm. the same time you don't want to end up with a unruly bush. So <laughs> you know I've been busy anyway. It's good to get out in the sunshine. Yeah. So how are you? I'm. <clears throat> 
I'm doing okay. I am. Uh, it, it, it was weird. I I'd never. See, this was one of the episodes I'd never seen before. I watched oh. it for this, and this one and and the next one are the ones I'd never seen a minute of. And but the odd thing about this one is the day before I watched this, I rewatched one of my favorite 1970s speculative documentaries, and it was one called Overlords right. of the UFO. Um, who are the overlords of the UFO? Right. <laughs> and the shocking conclusion, we will tell you who are the, and they don't really, um, but they keep you tuned in for 90 no. minutes. But they, yeah, yeah, because obviously if they if they told everyone who the overlords of the UFO were, then wouldn't we all know it? You know, it's it's like all the uh, it's like all the Bigfoot mm. movies. Like if they had found Bigfoot at the end, wouldn't this be the film where it was like, here's the here's the Bigfoot film, here's the one. Uh, so 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 Overlords of the UFO though has a segment in it where they show footage of Yuri Geller at a press conference, and he's there and he's very cheery and he's talking about seeing a UFO in the desert and he's he's making watches start um, broken watches start with his yes. with his psychic powers and he's bending <laughs> keys and then the next day I watched he's a mirror spoons. yeah yeah and I'm watching a mirror and I'm like uh, and I'd never seen the character and he he comes on there and before I know who he is I'm like. Why does he seem familiar to me? And then he starts talking about his psychic yes. abilities. I'm like, oh, oh, wow, yeah. And let me let me actually before we we, we go any, anywhere else. Um, speaking of the UFO stuff, as the Moramir talks about his um, psychic ability, he discusses all the times the government has kidnapped him. And I just want to play this clip. You'll get to hear the voice of Amir. You'll get to hear some of the troubles he's had. Although he's generally very positive. So listen to this. I was abducted. I was taken to a secret government laboratory and I was tested. I was humiliated. Every kind of implement known to man found a home in my ass. <laughs> Each week I had to give fresh ass samples to different scientists and do you know what? Not one record or document about my ass has been made available to the public. You go to Parliament, you ask your MP about what happened with Amir's ass back in 79 and he'll look the other way. Those cowardly bastards came in the night, scraped me senseless and left like ninjas. <laughs> for what? Because what can you tell from an ass sample anyway? Fibre intake. I tell you something, Dean. Having my ass dismantled in such a fashion only made me a stronger person. Not a single report about his ass has turned up in the public, which is terrible <laughs> if, you, if you think about it. <laughs> uh, so what, 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 did you, what did you what did you what did you think of Amir? Well, for a start, his skills, you know, his special talent is... Um, it, well, it's not. It, it's real life telekinetic, extrasensory, perceptive, telepathic, energizing, psychokinesis, or key bending, which, is, <laughs> as Dean puts it, is quite a quite a specific power to have been granted, isn't it? But uh, yeah, as you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, as soon as I saw this, I thought that's Yuri Geller in a kind of a comedy spoof thing. He's very, he's, he's very intense. He's very bouncy and full of energy. Yes. And I love the way he kind of leans into the camera and talks in this sort of hushed, very intimate way yes. um, into the camera. It, it, it's very, it's very funny, but slightly creepy. Yes. But um, yeah, it is a great character. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I he, he, th throughout the, the episode, they insert these subliminal moments of, and they're always, they always come up either. They generally come up at like incorrect moments. 
um, and and it'll just be like yes. they'll be talking and I'll talking and all of a sudden it'll cut to a, a like a close up of a mirror with like neon behind him and he'll go stay positive, keep on track, and he'll just say something. <laughs> and it's great because I feel like the audience might not be seeing that because I don't think they laugh like every time one of those appeared you don't hear the audience like react like a second later because they're literally it's just be positive. Oh, that's true. That's true. And so I'm wondering if those were something they um maybe added in like, like they when they were all done they were like wouldn't it be funny if yeah. we inserted this in here as some, <laughs> as something only the people at home could see the the people in the audience wouldn't um which i i, I quite like um uh let's see amir yeah amir he has something i'm actually looking at the wikipedia page and it says he did something called he did something called a um, it says he was rediscovered by a new generation of fans after his classic Mind Fondle appeared on Richard and Judy. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the, mind, the Mind Fondle. <laughs> on Richard and Judy. <laughs> uh, let, nice. <laughs> let, let me, um, the, the, as, as far as the, um, the, the bending the keys um Thing goes. I just uh, let me let me play you this this sound because there's a lot of great every. I mean, the thing with this show, a lot like Garth Marenghi, is you're almost better off just we're almost better off like just having the episode playing and as it's playing, we could have talked with it, but that would have been too confusing, I think, um, because there's so much good stuff <laughs> and we, we 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 don't hit it all. But here is the story that Amir tells about how he got his key powers and it involves a visitation listen to this i was lying in my bed i was ill and all of a sudden i heard a knocking coming from the window i was terrified i got up i went over to the window i pulled back the curtain and i saw a huge finger pointing at me from outside and after a moment or two it spoke to me saying fear not amir i am the finger of orion and I bring tidings from the mighty hand of Rastaban. I have traveled through space and time to touch you. For I touched the caveman and he knew fire. I touched Newton and he knew gravity. And now I am touching you and you will know how to bend keys by rubbing them lightly between thumb and forefinger. <laughs> Yale, deadlocks, luggage keys, all of these will be yours for the bending. But... <laughs> This is a mighty power, Amir, and you must wield it responsibly. That's what it said. Yes, and so th there you go. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. You know, I, I like to think that Amir really did have this giant hand or whatever the heck it was pointing at him, <laughs> granting him this power. And, <laughs> and I like to that it's, uh, you know, some people can do this. Some people can turn, you know, the water's blood red. Some people can do this. I'm comfortable bending keys. That's my thing. So, you know, <laughs> yes, yeah, and why not? Yes. Right, yeah, um, <laughs> let's see. But uh, he's, he's made a successful career out of it for, yes. for years because we actually one of the one of the uh video clips we get in this one is a clip from Dino's After Dark, yes. which was an old show. We're warned beforehand that uh, since then attitudes have changed <laughs> yes. when we show this this uh, 
clip. And it's one of these brilliant clips they do so well where so much detail. Uh, they've really looked at the detail of this. And it's mm-hmm. as if it was filmed in the 70s with the big hair, you know, the hair and the, the clothes. And mm-hmm. even down to the film grain and the, the, yes. the sort of washed out look of it. And everything. it's just so spot on. And, um, and, and all the attitudes, of course, and everything. It's just yeah. very, very dated. Mm-hmm. And we get this this demonstration of um, get, of Amir showing his skills. And I love that uh, at one point he's he's telling this, this blonde woman, of course, this blonde woman, to think about a part of his body and trying to get it to raise. Um, yeah, it's not the obvious one that you'd think they were going to go for, <laughs> yes. but uh, he, he, his right arm starts to lift and lift and lift, and he says, it's amazing, it's unbelievable. He says, I'm, I'm trying to force it down, but it keeps lifting. And, it's keep... and I love that in the middle of all this, he he just pauses slightly to scratch his nose with it and then carries on <laughs> <laughs> with it unbelievably not being able to control it. Yeah, it's it's got um, the uh, the attitudes or stuff like um you know we only use ten percent of our brain today. I forget what her, her the the woman's name is, but today I'm going to get you to use eleven percent. And um and Dean starts yelling. She doesn't have a brain or she's not very bright. And everybody laughs and has a great time because that's. That's what yes. you did back then. We didn't. We didn't know. We, we didn't know. Uh, I love the. Um, uh, and I, I do love also that Amir has a bit of that. Um, uh, that uh, Glenn Nimrod's sense of humor, where you know Glenn when he's like he when he's signing um, uh, the autographs, he's like you know um, you know for five pounds extra, I'll take my shirt off, or why don't you just leave that check blank and I'll <laughs> fill it in. Yeah. <laughs> and Amir has something like, let me read yeah. your mind, honey. Well, I'm reading it, and I can tell you that I'm busy tonight, and I don't have that kind of equipment. <laughs> it's just like these kind of dumb jokes mixed in with his earnestness and his his his, his mix of Yuri Geller and I, I don't know if you, you know this reference, but there in the '80s there used to be a big um, a fitness guru type guy named Richard Simmons. And he's got a bit of Richard right, Simmons. I don't, don't know him. He, no. did a, he did a series right. called Sweat, <laughs> Sweatin' with the Oldies, which is like him and a bunch of older people dancing Lovely. to like rock from the 50s and 60s. And he he always, whenever you see him, he'd be like, come on, everyone, come on, let's go. Mm-hmm, come on, let's go. And Amir is kind of, I'm sure they probably don't know Richard <laughs> Simmons either, but it's kind of, to me, it's almost like a mix of, especially the next time we'll see Amir, and this is a spoiler for the next episode, he will have actually come in from a workout video. Which is, I think, what made me think of <laughs> that character. But yes. um, yeah, well, you could be right. You could be the, uh, the the yeah. The great thing about Dino's After Dark is it not it it has stuff too like um, when the scene begins, like the camera goes through two doors that open up, and everyone, even though there's a camera, cameras there, multiple cameras and lights and everything, everyone's very casually and not so casually trying not to look at the cameras. And then uh, Dean even does that thing where he's like, "Oh, I didn't see you there," which is classic. <laughs> classic stuff it's it's great there's a lot of really subtle stuff in there it's really well observed <laughs> uh, but um, amir of course is very successful and he he points out that uh, when you're successful people are always knocking you mm-hmm. and i love dean's response to that is that there will always be knockers and ironically <laughs> enough it's the knockers i get the flack for <laughs> <laughs> dean has a moment in the beginning where he's talking about how um how great he is and he says something like uh you know that he does a lot of good stuff and he said i just spent two hundred dollars on uh, giving a, um, a terminally ill child a new like karaoke system, when really, if you think about it, I probably could have just lent it to him, which is a great line. 
that's so dark. <laughs> it's so dark. And Dean's generosity is just no, uh, it just knows no bounds because because uh, there's also a section where he have a phone in um, yes. for Emir for questions, and you're charged a pound a minute for it, yeah. and the money goes to the Dean Learner Dare to Dream Foundation for aging <laughs> glamour models. Yes. <laughs> um, one more, one more little little tangent. It, it just occurred to me too. There's, there's uh, Amir tells his story about how he got his powers. Then he tells the story about all the probing he's received. And then a little later on, one of the calling people asks mm-hmm. him if he asks, they ask him if he believes in God, and he says no. It's something like. Um, uh, this world is run by like a cosmic salamander who put metallic boatmen in our minds and they yes. monitor everything we do. And it, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's interesting. It sounds like of, he's going to start off with the very scientific and then he goes weird. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause I, um, uh, there, there is a show, uh, in America, which I'm sure you, you guys probably get over there too, called ancient aliens, which is filled with all sorts of, um, theories about how we're all descended from aliens. You know that, you know, the classic sort of stuff. Um, and there's, yeah, yeah. there's there 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 was one where they interview um, a human hybrid woman who is supposed to be like half reptilian alien and half human, and she's very sincere, and oh, I right. and it was very interesting. But like the stories she tells are like you know waking up and then visitations and then the government taking her in every day and probing her and testing her and then her belief that you know there, there isn't a god but we're descended from reptiles from outer space is sort of um oh sounds very familiar yeah. yeah sort of sort of on that same wavelength as it were <laughs> um yeah so, so yeah. um oh oh let me they show a clip from uh bath buddies with amir which is amir's new video which is basically oh, yes him in a bathtub talking very <clears throat> well here, here, let me play the audio for it. Hello, I am Amir Shanan, and thank you for joining me in my bath. You know, bath time is often somewhere we go to hide away from the world. How many times have you run a bath and thought, will this be my last one? Well, today let Amir be your bath buddy, and I will teach you to love bath time again. Mmm, breathe in those happy smells. Feel the softness of the bubbles on your skin. It's good, yes? Now, take your trunks off. Come on, take them off. I need all your channels open. There, mine are off too. There is nothing to be ashamed of. You have a beautiful body. No, don't cry. You do. (laughs) See how the bubbles make all your skin warm, wet, and shiny? Look how your flesh swishes and swirls in the water like moonlit coral. You are beautiful. No, really, you are. You are. Well, he's lying. Close your eyes. I'm going to touch you with my mind. Feel my psychic energy soaking your unhappy body, soaping all that misery away. You feel light as a feather. You are floating. Feel my fingers darting all over your body like little fishes. 
Now, slowly, very slowly, bring your hands down in front of your body. Lower, lower. That's good. Even lower. What did you think of Bath Buddies? Do you have a new Bath Buddy now? I love. <laughs> I don't know quite what to make of it, really. It's it's it's. I don't know. It's one of these you can't take your eyes off. Um, it, it you you've got him kind of being all seductive and everything on one hand, but at the same time being quite creepy, and at the same time it's kind of. I don't know. He's saying things like, um, you know, like you are beautiful. No, no, really, you are. You are. Well, he's lying. You are. <laughs> it's like, in a way, I suppose, I quite like to listen to someone saying that to you. I suppose, but uh, it's a very weird. I love as well that the when he's talking, he starts up. He's sitting up in the the bath, and then as it goes on, he's kind of lying in, in the bath with his chin just above the water, and then he tells it you to go lower, lower your hands to go lower, your hands yes. to go lower, and then the the camera eventually does actually start to go <laughs> under the water. <laughs> so yes, very very good. <laughs> uh... Yeah, no, I like in this one that um, it's it's for a change. It's not Dean that has the rant. <laughs> it's, yes, it's Matthew Holness as, as his character that has the rant because all is well and good until he decides to show his skills with key bending, and then he tries to bend the key and the key won't bend, and he suddenly kicks off on one and starts yeah. accusing Sato of giving him a wooden key because it's from his rival and and then it goes on and on and then he starts shouting at everyone's all arseholes and and, yes. and storms out and shouting and stuff but he's but yeah it's him that gets the rant which I thought was a nice a nice mm. change yeah yeah it's, it's great because you kind of it, I, don't, I don't know if I if I thought it was um uh unexpected that he's he's positive the whole time and then suddenly the end he bursts into this rant yeah but um but it was yes. nice it, it's nicely done because um because uh well I, I think the way they do it which is a nice bit of sort of um misdirection is that satu and dean are having some sort of argument or something and we've uh, they've had an argument and so there's a bit of tension that comes in whenever Dean sort of refers to Satu, and Satu just has the same face she normally has on. She doesn't seem to care one way or the other yes. about any of it. And um, she just uh, sits there smiling. Yeah. Yes, and 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 but the thing with Dean is that we we um we uh we know that um is is this the episode or is it the next one where or is it the one before where he tells the story about the woman who he said was giving him a bit of a jip, and then suddenly she died in a horrible accident in front of her home. I forget which episode that's in. Oh, that's right. It's this one. Yes, no, it's, it's this one. Um, yes, he's, he says he believes he doesn't believe in you know all these different things that were being talked about like karma and stuff. He believes about, about God and stuff. He believes in karma, and he says he gives a story then about this ex girlfriend that um, did this and that, and you yes. know he didn't like that she did whatever, and uh, and then she was found gunned down <laughs> yeah. outside her flat. So karma, and he looks at Satu and says, you know, so you know, learn yeah. learn from that kind of thing. Yes, <laughs> and it's it's great because I. I I, like I said, Satu, she, her face just doesn't change, you know, sort of. She's, she's just kind of... No, no. So, so I think, um, 
I, I don't know. I he's he's. I think he, he is trying to threaten her, but it, it sort of. And but it doesn't quite. It either either she doesn't care, or maybe she's got connections somewhere, and she's not worried about it I, or something. I don't know. I, from from the sort of the hints from the earlier episodes, I think we're sort of led to believe she she is completely unaware. She's not picking yes. up any of this. She's just sitting there smiling in a in her um, bunny girl costume, mm. <laughs> and it's all just going over her head. <laughs> and. And so we we so we get this sort of tension building, and then it it, it comes out with um uh you know uh, Amir saying okay now I'm going to bend a bend a bend a key for you, and then the key doesn't bend, and then he goes into the rant, which is nice. I I don't I it, it's De- Dean's always so sort of kind of has that underlying nasty to him that I it almost yeah. it almost it almost kind of surprised me when it happened, but then but then once it happened, I was like oh of course the guy who be positive. Uh, is going to be the one who goes yes. off, off the. But it's great because yes. when he goes, when he goes off the deep end and he storms off the set because he's told Satu and Dean that he will take a bath with them afterwards. And he's and Amir storms off the set and yeah, Dean yells, you know, are we still on for the bath? Yes. And then a minute later, Amir is like, I'm so sorry, <laughs> Dean. I'm so sorry. So so he immediately regrets uh, what he's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this episode the humor in this one's slightly different because this is probably out of all of them this is the most innuendo driven episode mm-hmm. so i mean what what do you think of that kind of humor oh i enjoyed it i thought it was i thought it was <laughs> i thought it was a great time it's it's nice because it is um yeah uh, it's nice because there isn't um <clears throat> there isn't uh you know un- unlike glenn who's rather tragic and and steve who has his issues and, and this is just uh, this is just a kind of wacky guy who believes that he has all these psychic abilities and and yeah, he's been able yeah. he's been able to make a living kind of just doing that thing he does and so so it's it's kind of a more um yeah uh, it's 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 less of a uh less less dark less um there there isn't an underlying sadness to Amir I don't think he just is what he is yeah he breaks out into a rage but we all do. So and, yeah, I, I quite liked it. I, I imagine yeah, you yeah. liked. I imagine you liked all the innuendo, but I don't want to put anything into your mouth. Me? Yeah. I, you wouldn't find me lowering myself to smutty <laughs> humor. I don't know. What? I, when it comes to double on, when it comes to double entendres, I think you'll be surprised if you ever catch me knocking one out. <laughs> I can't. I can't keep up with gore and, and the innuendos, but uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um. I, uh, cheap humor, cheap humor, cheap, 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 cheap and good times. Um, uh, let's see what what else do you have for this? Yeah, I think the one tricky thing with this episode is that since it it doesn't have sort of the the strange pathos of like the Glenn thing or the all the stuff that's gone wrong with Steve. I don't know if I have as much to say about Amir yes. as I do. Do you have Do you have anything else? I'm going to scan my notes. No, not really. I think Amir is much more of a character that's based on a real person or a couple of real pe- people, that kind of humour. He seems, to me anyway, to be kind of a, a send-up of, um, I don't know, Yuri Geller, maybe, I don't know, David Copperfield. So that's, you know, that oh, kind, maybe, yeah. that mm-hmm. sort of person. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, rather than the other ones are a bit more 
well-rounded you know mm. they've got they've got the tragic side with them and, and i love that mix of pathos and mm-hmm. humor whereas this one was much more kind of um there was a lot of, of like i said there's lots of smutty jokes and things in this and lots of innuendos and things like that which which yeah is, is great um so just a slightly different one but still um one i enjoyed it's i still yeah. liked it it's just slightly different to the other ones yeah, I, I quite like this. I like Amir. It's it's nice to have a character somewhere in there who doesn't have all the uh, the the underlying darkness just for a break, just just to have an episode where you get someone who mm. the mm. worst he, the worst he does is he he calls everyone assholes and then immediately regrets yeah. <laughs> that he did that. So yeah. I um I uh, just uh, just a couple more things. One, we learn in this episode that <laughs> Dean was one of the when he started as, as a publisher, he was the only publisher at the time who was completely illiterate. He knows how to read now, yeah. but he didn't know how to read when he became a publisher. <laughs> so he had to judge every book by its cover. And he does a yes. few a, a yeah. few episodes before this. He makes a joke. Oh, I think it's in the Glenn episode about selling stuff to the illiterate because they can't read the reviews. So that possibly comes from his own background. <laughs> and there is um, uh, some uh, during the call-in segments. Uh, it's 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 great. First off, you you can sort of really see the tension ratcheting up between Satu and Dean, where she says like something like, "It's Sandra from Ipswich. Why do I care where the hell she's calling from?" Hello, Sandra. But then uh, when a woman <laughs> calls up Amir and says something like, "I weigh thirty eight stone," and you know she she needs some help with her weight, and Amir is trying to help her, but Dean just keeps insulting her and saying, Dean is "You know, horrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can send a friend over there <laughs> who can widen a- your doors." Yeah. He said, that's not a question. That's a statement. (laughs) He's really unsympathetic towards it. It's horrible, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The the moment, yeah, the moment the, uh, the Colin stuff starts, Dean just, I I think possibly it's just, he, maybe his annoyance with Sat2 is growing and it's, it's um, being projected onto the callers, but it is funny to see how just cheesed off he is at all the callers <laughs> who he who are yeah, paying him completely who are, impatient. Who are, yes who are paying him yes, money yes. To, to do this so you have a beautiful body no don't he's wrong you have a beautiful body are you talking to me then uh, I'm too, who knows who did, knows? I leave, did i leave the webcam on then or something <laughs> <laughs> suddenly everyone's my bath buddy and i love it <laughs> uh, so I, I guess if we're all done here, yeah, let's. Oh, oh, wait a minute though. This, this, I, this is the episode that has one of my all-time favorite lines in it that Dean delivers. I think this is in this one, right before the break, when he's talking about what they're going to do. I think it's this one when they come back from the. Uh, uh, they're about to go to the break, you know, and he says, you know, uh, we'll be right back with whatever, and he says something on the lines of, "Stay right where you are, unless you're currently in peril." And then it goes to the commercial break, which I liked. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, if if that's all uh, you, we've got, uh, I guess Gore, where can we find you online? Mm. Right, yes, I'm online at the, Trili- the Trilogy of Terror podcast. You can find that on iTunes or Apple Podcasts at Stitcher or through your podcast. Through, sorry, through your podcatcher, um, or you can find me on Twitter at I am Gore Blimey, or one word. Or if you go to the website, which is trilogyofterrorpodcast.com, you'll find um, the link to any other social media pages. Thank you very much for joining me again. This is the penultimate episode. We only have one left. It's a little sad. 
Oh. Yeah, I think the thing with you, Gore, is that uh, this is we've done two six episode shows in a row, so we 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 fall in love with Gore Blimey, and then he's gone. <laughs> Where is he? He's in the bathtub with a mirror. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yes. Don't go away. The United States of America would like to invite you to come spy with me. Adventures looking in your window Something out of the ordinary Come with me now and let's explore the secret passions I can see you're someone special Masquerade, something, something with masquerades. Hey, everyone, it's Dan, and that was the theme to Glenn A. Larson's 1983-1984 Love Boat Meets Mission Impossible show, Masquerade, and I have the woman who sang that song with me here, the great, the wonderful, the she's done everything and she's just getting started, Amanda Reyes. Amanda, how are you? I'm good, but I didn't sing that song, Dan. Liar. Don't. I didn't. Crystal Gale sang it. She made her brown eyes blue and sang That's that true. song. That's true. I thought you had told me you'd grown your hair down to your ankles, and um, we're just really getting into sort of some mellow, mellow music. Mellow. <laughs> yeah, that might have happened at some point, probably in the 90s, <laughs> when earlier. I was following Pearl Jam around, yeah, <laughs> in my van. Well, yeah, so everyone here, it's, she, it's been almost... Uh, or maybe I'll have, I left—I forget—around forty episodes since you've heard her on the on the show, oh the, the regular. We did the the Aaron Moran tribute, but it's been—it was episode eighteen was the last one you were on here with us, and and thanks so much for coming back. Thank you for having me for this amazing show. Yes, yay! So this yay. is uh, what what I will do is I'm going to I'm going to say this: December fifteenth, nineteen eighty three. Writer, this is Mr. Glenn A. Larson, or as I have it written, G- Gal. That's what I'm going to call him from now on. Director, Peter H. Hunt, and it's um, uh, um, Rod Taylor as Mr. Lavender. Kirstie Alley is it's Casey, correct, I believe, is her name. That's a good question. I don't even remember their names. <laughs> Only Mr. Lavender, because he reminds me of Reservoir Dogs. It was, oh, yes, it was Casey Collins and Greg Evigan as Danny Doyle. And oh sure, really? They both had names with that started with the same letter, first and last names. 
Glenn A. Larson had, how many did you tell me earlier, about eight shows going on right about now? Like 4,000? <laughs> yeah, so, so he got he got tired. Manimal was around this time, too, I think. So he had a lot of a lot of things happening. Um, so what, what I before I dive into the plot, and before I forget the plot, uh, would you... Uh, just tell me where you first saw this show. What what's your what? Because I think you turned me on to this show a long time ago. So so I'd like to know where you you found it. Yeah, I found it through my husband who remembered it and thought I would enjoy it. And I was an adult, obviously, when we met, and um, I had never heard of it. Like, I don't remember watching this, and I think we'll see why, because I think I put what it ran against. I have some trivia here. I can't remember if I did or not, but I'll look it up. Um, and. I was like, this sounds like the most amazing thing ever. So I, I found a bootleg of it, and there's only 13 episodes, I think. And so we picked it up, and um, I'll tell you, there's a scene in the opening there in the credits yeah. when they're playing Masquerade, and I did a lot of stuff, and I went to a Masquerade, and, like, I have an Apple phone with my Masquerade. There's a scene where they're so, – so we'll get into the premise of the show, but part of it is that they go around on this tour bus because they act like tourists. And there's a scene where they drive through a street. I'm guessing it's Amsterdam. I'm not positive. And the sky is like bullet gray. They are passing some mountains in the background. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen of anything. I watched those opening credits like 40,000 times <laughs> because I love that scene. I love the glamour of the show mm -hmm. and like this sort of jet setting that happens. And so I was like really hooked on it, even though I think maybe the writing's not as good as it could have been. There, it had so many neat like eighties eighties isms yes. that um that it made me like just want to watch. And there's some really fun episodes um to be had, which we'll get to. But um yeah, so it just kind of randomly because I happen to like apples that are turned into phones. There, it's and it is I I I I'd love for us to sort of go bit by bit through. The, the opening credits and maybe we will at some time not here though because okay. this is an extra long episode and looking online the easiest thing you can watch for this show are the opening credits so yeah. google Masquer masquerade opening credits and you will see the apple the first version of the apple phone <laughs> which, so good. Is, which is hilarious i'd love it if throughout the show they had the, it like I, I would love it if the second season began with like that same woman like pretending to take a bite of a pear and then she turns the pear, and it's a pear phone. And they get an updated fruit, the pomegranate phone. Do you, because it'd be do you know? Do you know the pilot movie that never became a series called Velvet? Okay, well, it was about these four women who were spies. I think it was four. And Sherry Belafonte is one of them. And um, the lady who played the mom on Dawson's Creek, and I think it's Mary Margaret Hume, maybe. They're all pretending that they're aerobics instructors. And but they're really like super secret spies. And the opening credits has like this song that you'll forget two seconds after you hear it, but it's got all these neat like devices. So Mary Margaret Hume has like a lipstick that's actually like a detonator for a bomb. Nice. Yeah, it's amazing. So like if you should check out the you should watch if you're gonna double feature your credit sequences, I suggest you do Masquerade and Velvet back to back. Uh. And it's amazing. And also Masquerade's really, not Masquerade, Velvet's really interesting because the I think the first scene mm -hmm. is almost all done with one camera shot. Oh, wow. I think through the through their fake aerobics gym where people are actually working out and they're leading classes. Uh -huh. I think it starts in the front of the gym and goes all the way to the back to the, where they get to their super secret room. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and it's all done in one camera shot. So it's kind of an interesting show. Yeah. Oh, or I, pilot. I, you know what? I, I, the more you talked about it, the more I feel like I've heard about it or read about it, but not seen it. And it should be so. Oh, I have the, the, that shot is up here now on my screen. 
Here, I've got the movie playing. About a minute and 25 seconds. Whoa, those are long credits. Yeah, minute, they are. Minute tw- because Mr. Lavender, as you heard, that's that was Mr. Lavender, Rod Taylor. And forgive, forgive me, folks, if you hear my dog. One of my dogs is a little sick, and she's a bit panty today. So you might hear a dog panting in the background. Don't worry about it. Let it ride. She's watching Masquerade as we're talking about it. She's having a good time. I don't remember what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Rod Taylor is in the opening there, and he welcomes us to the Masquerade, as it were. Come and, and spy with us. Come and spy with us. And he's got a little card and everything. And he's a, what is the name of their? It's NIA, right? That's the name. Something of like the, that, yeah. And I don't know what that National Intelligence Association or something. Agency, probably. Agency, okay. Well, association. Ugh. Um, it's uh, a club. <laughs> it's a club. They're having a good time. They're um, and I actually discovered this. I, I forget exactly how it happened, but you reviewed the Black's Magic pilot movie. Yes. And, which I love. And I think I said to you, possibly when we were doing Joni Loves Chachi recordings, um, I mentioned that, oh, I really like that. Is that a good show? And you said, yes, it is. If you like that, you should also watch Masquerade or something like that. I don't know why you... (laughs) They're not even associated, but I think I bought those two episodes together when I was picking up bootlegs. Okay, yeah, I think... Oh, that was it. I think that was it because uh, the shows are very, very... In fact, I was actually going to suggest we do Black's Magic rather than Masquerade Uh because... Uh, we we can still because frankly I think overall it's a better show it's Levinson and Link yeah um, but the thing is my wife and I just finished Ellery Queen Mysteries which is Levinson and Link mm-hmm. and which is us trying to dance around the endings and the endings of Black's Magic are as big sometimes bigger than the endings of Ellery Queen yeah so, so I I thought two shows in a row like that no we can spoil the ending of this the good guys win hooray. Yeah. Well, this is very much of, uh, and we'll probably get into this, but this is very much a show of its time. So even yes. though I don't think the writing's on par with like some other shows that were around that were similar, which we'll probably talk about, it's that it was really about us versus them in the Cold War. Yeah. And um, and so as a cultural artifact, it's I think a really fascinating, fascinating show. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really entertaining too. I mean, even if you, it's like. Um, I don't know what I would compare it to, but you know, like you forgot what you did five minutes before, but it was good during those five minutes you were yes. doing it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like that. It's just eye candy and it's, it's wonderful for what it is. But I think, yeah, if you're going to write a dissertation paper on it, I think you could get a lot of interesting stuff out of it too. Yeah. yeah I think t- to me, it's a sort of show where like my uh, top tier sort of shows like this um, are, would be something like say search or mm. I, do, I do love like Gemini man. Um, those are just two like up there. Um, they sometimes have the same sort of um, traveling all over the place kind of aesthetic. This one is is uh, maybe because it's Glenn A. Larson, a couple of steps underneath, but still very entertaining. Well, but I would argue that Gemini Man also had stories that you forgot five minutes after. I, I would say it, it, I would say with Gemini Man, I think it starts off great, and then about five or six episodes in, they slightly change the format, but not for the better. And so I think the you, first. You know what's even better than that show? Which one? Lucan. It's out on DVD. <laughs> I don't even care that it has nothing to do with this show. Lucan's better. That that was actually that that was actually another show I was going to ask you to, oh. to cover with me. But the, but the reason why it didn't was because we planned Masquerade for months now, folks, and Lucan just came out a couple of months ago, and so we already had our Masquerade standing by, and so Lucan can be the next one we do together. Okay. Because I, I, I would I would like to, I, I watched it when I was on Warner Archive Instant, which is R.I.P. 
Yeah. Uh, which is too bad because I don't. It's all that great TV stuff is 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 now not available. It's gone. It's yeah, gone, it's and it's, it's so upsetting. But but luckily they did put Lucan out on DVD, and they. I was told through some people at Warner Archive that wasn't going to happen because I think they at the time they could only get the streaming rights. Mm. And it was like, they're like, that's just not going to happen, Amanda. Kill the dream. Kill it. Kill the and, dream. and then someone who owned the rights said, wait a minute, we're talking about Lucan. Put it out on DVD. Put please. It, please. People need this. Yes. So that was a really wonderful surprise to see that come out. Yeah, that actually snuck up on me. I, I, was, mm-hmm. I, was, I was looking up, um, maybe, I, I was looking up something that's about to come out on TV-wise like that on, on DVD. And on Amazon, it was like, you might also consider Lucan. I said I already have considered Lucan, and I clicked on it, and it was like, "Holy crap, it's out already!" Like, usually I'm on top of it, but this one snuck up on me. Uh, how many episodes? Anyway, are that, that's neither oh, here yeah. nor there. I no, guess. it isn't. That's for our Lucan <laughs> chat. L- there's Lucan not many cast. episodes. Less Lucan. than I, I think there's even less than they have on Masquerade, or roughly okay. the same. Okay. Um, so let me dive into the plot of, uh, and, and what I'll do is I'm going to go through the plot and yeah, please, as with Joni Loves Chachi, Amanda, please, uh, it's not going to be as funny, but, uh, dive on in. Just <laughs> well, yeah. well, do you want some background about how it aired or do you want that after? Give me some background. I'll sit okay. back. Thank you. Just, Thank you. Yeah. Just cause I, this is a show that's probably going to be foreign to some people because it is kind of hard to find and, um, and it did only have 13 episodes. So as far as I know, it's never rerun. Anywhere, like I've never seen a rerun, but that yeah. doesn't mean it hasn't. But I'm not yeah. familiar. Yeah, I, th- I think the ones I have have all like the um, uh, any announcers over the credits are very yes. like, topical. Like when yes. I did when I did cliffhangers, those are all like tomorrow night on Super Train, and I'm like, what? So sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be so good. It's gonna be great. Um, I think there's a lot of 60 minutes. Well, although this was a different channel, but there was something a lot of news voiceovers at the end oh, credits yeah. of these. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, this was, as Dan said, aired on December 15th. It was a mid-season replacement. Um, there were three titles uh, slated as mid-season replacements. Only two of that I know of aired, and that is Masquerade, um, which was, a, I believe, a co-production between 20th Century Fox and Glenn A. Larson, and Auto Man, which premiered on the same night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same channel, same night as Masquerade, also 20th Century Fox and Glenn A. Larson. Um, then there was a third thing called Concrete Beat, which ended up airing as a pilot, or just a TV movie, I guess, in July of 84, which I think is about reporters and starred Boz from Riptide. Wow. Oh, hey. And I'm I'm shocked I haven't seen it. Um, shocked. Because I saw Tom Bray's name in the credits, and I just about died. So um, that's next on my list. But so, anyway, apparently this was part of a resurgence for 20th Century Fox, because I read this news article that said two years prior to Masquerade coming out, they had only had two shows on the network, and then in I guess at the end of 1983, they had more TV shows on TV than any other studio. So some of their shows were The Fall Guy, Trapper John, Nine to Five, Aftermath, something called Emerald Point that I vaguely remember, something called Med Star I don't remember at all, Manimal, and um, the Burt Convy sitcom It's Not Easy, which also starred Kent Howard and was written by Burt Convy's wife, Ann Convy. Wow. And which um I there's one episode online, only oh. one, and I've watched it and it's not that good of a show, but it's kind of interesting. It's about um this couple that get divorced but stay really friendly and the woman whose name I can't remember, even though I can see her clearly in my head, a blonde actress that you'd recognize the second you see her, is married to Ken so, or she's I, I, Anita Eckberg. Is that her? No, that's not Anita Eckberg. We're close. Oh. It's not like a vampy woman. It's like okay. a, I think she was married to Bob on Bob, Bob Newhart. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Who I think it's that? a woman who played Bob Newhart's wife. Anyway, she. Uh, I said Bob, like everybody knows. Oh, it must be Bob Newhart. Please. Um, um, she's married. She's either married or dating Ken Howard, and they live together. And Burke Convy, I think, is the ex-husband, or maybe he's not the ex-husband. Now I'm getting this mixed up. One of them is the ex-husband, <laughs> and it's about their relationship getting together with like the significant others. And then they kind of play charades on like a. a... Uh, sheet and they draw and stuff. And... They do. It's so win, lose, or draw. It is. <laughs> it was based on win, lose, or draw, also starring Brooke Norvig. So, uh, so just to give you an idea of what midseason replacements were looking like, on CBS, the four midseason replacements um, of the same, I guess, 83, 84 season was Airwolf, something called Empire, something called Domestic Life, which was a Steve Martin-produced uh, sitcom. Um, which I don't remember. Something with Suzanne Plachette that I know the name of, but I didn't look it up. They just called it Untitled Suzanne Plachette Show Scheduled. And it's where she plays a reporter, and it's like Maggie Stone or something is the title. Mm-hmm. Um, on ABC was Buffalo Bill, which had actually run the summer before. Oh, wow. Yeah, but then they brought in 13 new episodes for the replacement uh, this season, in that season. Duck Factory, of course, which is pretty popular. Oh, yeah. Night Court, which was the biggest show of all these um, yes. here. Double Trouble, which, do you remember Double Trouble with the twins? Yes, yeah. Oh, best show ever. (laughs) Ever. It's so 80s. It's so incredibly 80s. And and Donnelly Rose played their dad. And it's so good, especially when they go to New York to become fashion designers. That's my favorite part. And and there was an untitled Lorne Michael comedy also that was to air as a Mitzi. I don't know if all these made it. Like, I know Duck Factory did. But, like, um, Domestic Life, I'm not familiar with at all. Masquerade replaced a show called Trauma Center, which I think might have starred James Naughton, and I can't, don't quote me on that, but I think it might have. And like I said, it ran with Auto Man on Thursday nights, and so these two premiered as TV movies on December 15th, Auto Man first with its 90-minute pilot, and then Masquerade. What, in a row, two 90-minute pilots in a row? Yeah. Oh, wow. And here's why it failed. So it ran on CBS, Masquerade ran against Simon & Simon, which was a popular show, but on NBC, it ran against Cheers oh. and Buffalo Bill. And so while Cheers had a hard time getting out of the gate, mm-hmm. it was on fire. You know what I mean? It didn't take long for that show to catch on. So, and let me just give you a couple of sound bites from some of the reviews that came out. Pat, yeah. also, what's interesting about the show is that Women's Wear Daily actually reviewed it. I didn't know they reviewed TV shows, but they, I guess they did at some point. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's amazing. And so Pat, Low- Pat Lowry of Women's Wear Daily said it was a slick, well-paced show. John O'Connor of the New York Times thought it was diverting but silly, which I probably would agree with him. Tom Shales from the Washington Post said that Larson displays a contempt for originality and an absence of inventiveness. I don't well, think he liked it, guys. I... I th- I think, I mean, apart from Manimal, I think that's pretty much the way Glenn A. Larson always worked. But that's why we loved him, because he did his but, own sort of thing. But wait, you never saw an Apple phone before True. that. True. That's totally inventive. Whatever, Tom Shales. And then, <laughs> and then Variety said Masquerade was interesting, but runs out of plausibility, which I agree with. Rod Taylor was well cast, and it does have its share of hokiness. Um, it actually aired around the same time as Scarecrow Mrs. King, and I guess we'll probably talk about that throughout Mm-hmm. the run of this portion of your podcast because yeah. something that neither Dan and I had thought about was that these shows, Scarecrow Mrs. King, and I'm sure there are others we're not thinking of, um, and Masquerade were basically about regular people getting involved in government at a time when uh, Reagan was actually trying to sort of seal up information coming onto the public. Yeah. yeah. And and so this was about sort of people hacking into things uh, it was a way to, to ease a cultural anxiety is where these shows came from, which is so fascinating. It's something I hadn't really thought about. 
And so it was about how the everyman is, gets to be a part of the system in a really positive way and gets to be in the system and see things that they are currently in the real world being left out of. Mm-hmm. And it's also very much of its time, both Scarecrow Mrs. King and Masquerade in terms of the Cold War. Um, it's just I think Scarecrow Mrs. King handled it better in terms of the eloquence with the writing, I think. Yeah, I, I think I think the thing with um, uh, the, the diff- one of the differences, too, is just that it, it's not quite they have to reboot themselves, but every episode of Masquerade is a new assignment in a new part of the world, and they have to bring in new people. And it is like Love Boat. It, it kind of starts again with the three basic people. Whereas Scarecrow and Mrs. King, which I have not watched since it originally aired, is Scarecrow and Mrs. King, correct? And, and yeah. So, 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 so they're able to build off of that, whereas Masquerade just buys very... Like BJ and the Bear, he would... Beejan and 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 Bear would drive into a place and they'd get involved with something and there'd be a whole new cast every apart from the third season there'd be a whole new cast. Every I week. guess though the difference though is that I feel like now I haven't seen Bj and Bear and the Bear in a long time but I feel like what? you you got to know Bj and the Bear which everyone is not the monkey Bj you got to know Bj like as a person mm-hmm. and I feel like a masquerade um, rewatching it now you don't really it's almost like law and order in that way it's sort of like the characters oh, yeah, have yeah. lives mm-hmm. but they're really not at the forefront and they're more just yeah. dedicated to the cause and so they're kind of like Hawaii Five-0 I guess like the yeah. original you're they're just kind of there to facilitate the plot and, and, and you you hope that like um because uh, as we're talking this folks Mitchell and I are also talking Bourbon Street Beat and one of the things about that is that when it begins, you don't know much about the characters, and they are there more or less to advance the plot, but you get those little moments as you go that kind of bring the characters out. And so far in my rewatching of Masquerade, I haven't really seen that. Yeah, there's a little bit. Like, you know Greg Evigan's kind of, like, into women, well, right? Well, sure. Sure. Yeah, because he's Greg Evigan, but like you get this idea that he likes to cat around and meet different women and date, and and but that and lavender really gets the Russians guff up all the time because they seem to want revenge on him constantly. All the so, time. Yep. <laughs> but that's really it. And so, like, and Kirstie Alley's character is just kind of like she's she's like Scully without any of the refinement of Scully. She's like dedicated to the profession, and she's very strong and independent, and she's smart. She's clearly smart. But like, there's not a, there's no background given to her, and so I'm saying this on the day we're recording is actually the 25th anniversary of the premiere of the X Files. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, so that's why Scully's on my mind. But Scully would be like a more textured version of this. Yes, yeah, because one of the things we'll talk about when we, well, one of the things I'll mention when we talk about the pilot is there's sort of a, uh, a not a rancor, but a sort of. Um, uh, it was a rivalry, or what the heck is going on between Casey and Danny, which is not, at least in these first few, this first episode, isn't kind of fully like, oh, they don't get along. But I don't quite know why they don't get along. They want to do it. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. I, I can, can I just say, speaking of they want to do it, I looked up a concrete beat. Yes. And the executive producer, creator, a guy who wrote the teleplay was the guy who created Moonlighting. Speaking of, they oh. want to do it, and to tie it into Sybil Shepherd. Yes, who that's right. That's, ex- that's exactly what I was thinking of, and and that show did it better too. I mean, I don't want to put down Masquerade, so people are like, "Oh my God, are they going to no, talk no, about a show they no, hate?" Because no. I love the show, yeah. but but it it just it didn't have that genesis quoi. It, that I don't totally yeah, said exactly. that wrong, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I it didn't I, have that flair. Masquerade. That the, <laughs> yeah, you got. 
And I did this masquerade, and I went, and there was a masquerade. Where's my Apple phone? See, folks, Amanda's back. I I think uh, the Concrete Beat aired on July 9th, 84. Yeah. Newspaper columnist John Getz tries to juggle the hectic schedule of his job, trying to clear a woman blamed for her child's death and romancing his ex-wife, who happens to be his gruff boss's daughter in this prospective series pilot. And that's me and Meryl. Alvin Merrill, yep. movies made for television. That's yeah. it. That's it. It's got Tom Bray somewhere in there, and so yeah, it's a yeah. it's a must see for me. What else did you have? Oh, that's it actually. Oh, except okay. for we'll probably talk about Scarecrow Mrs. King as it progresses because I pulled this article that I shared with you, but I don't want to have to like break it down and read things. But there may be things that come up um, that I want to point out because I think it's interesting to compare the two. Like I, it just didn't occur to me. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I, I apologize, folks. I would have watched some episodes, but we just found this. Well, you found this just a few hours ago. So, yeah, so and I was like, so thank you, Ed Schiffer of the Wall Street Journal, for writing this article in 1984 because it opened so many doors in my brain, and that's super exciting for me. Yay! Okay. Yay! Here's what we're gonna do. I am gonna try to give you the plot, plot for the plot. <laughs> I'm just gonna let you do it because. I don't think I could. Okay, <clears throat> I'm gonna have a sip of my water here. But every time you you say a cast member, everybody's gonna go <gasps> because the cast is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's so amazing. Yeah. yeah. So it begins with um. And pardon, pardon, my dog has started panting here. She's excited. She, I'm, I'm she's excited too. All right, folks. Here's me trying to cover the plot of the plot of the pilot of Masquerade. It is a masquerade. I've got really long hair. I'm Crystal Gale. Um, I think my it, one of my relatives who was a, a hairdresser, Crystal Gale used to drive her up the wall because she was like, oh, the split ends. And the, oh, the it hair. was horrible. It was yeah. like in the time it was happening, I was like in awe of her hair. Mm-hmm. But like as the it, years passed on, I was like, chop that shit off, Crystal. <laughs> Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Yeah. Whatever oh. happened to her? Did she chop that shit off? I bet she. I bet she's probably got like she shaved. She shaved her head or something like it's that. It's a mohawk. Start. Start. Yeah. She's starting anew. And Good. She's like, Let's see how it goes. So the episode begins. There are a lot of names. I'm going to get some of them wrong. Uh, the episode begins in um, France. Uh, doesn't it? Oh crap! I forgot how it begins. Yeah. And and we um there's <laughs> there's there's a, there's a um. Oh, they're at the uh, airport. Yeah, yeah. There. Well, it begins with it with Tom Atkins. Playing. Yeah, oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So like, he just is in it for like ten seconds. He's great, and and every time I see Tom Atkins, I say the same thing. Thrill me. I just yes. think, yeah, and and he's oh, I love Tom Atkins, and he is basically an NIA National Intelligence Agency. Yes. Um, agent who has been f- uh, found out by the KGB, and he's in, in Paris. And there is a uh, agent named Peter Sergoff, who, who's uh, codenamed Wolfen, and I will call him Wolfen because that's a kick-ass movie. Um, and he, it's Oliver Reed, for heaven's sake. And so you get you get a sequence at a department store where Oliver Reed is chasing Tom Atkins, and at one point. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Lillian Ch- Chauvin? Ch- Ch- oh, yeah, yeah. Is that, who, is that Mother Superior? Mother Superior from Silent Night, Deadline. Night. She yeah. shows up as a, as a, as a, a customer. And uh, now this is the one spot where I fall down. Mr. Lavender 
is driving around Paris and he gets the call from Agent John saying, I've been caught. And, oh, I forget the name of... He's uh, Lavender is with or around another guy who I think oh, is a right. French, and I forget who this guy is. Ah, this wee oui, wee, oui. oui, it's oui, oui. it's wee wee. I'm sure, I'm sure. We're gonna call him wee wee. We we we're gonna call him wee wee. Is what we're okay. gonna call him. And he's another agent uh, based in in Paris. And unfortunately, Agent John is shot, and Wolfen gets away. And so Mr. Lavender and Wee Wee are going to the airport and kind of bemoaning the fact that the KGB, they have this great computer. I have a great <laughs> computer, too. Uh, they have this great computer where the moment they get someone on the, the books as a secret agent, they seem to immediately, like, find, the KGB find out who they That's are. Right. Well, I'm bemoaning the fact that Tom Atkins is gone. Like, He's, it starts, yeah. and you're like, oh, God, Tom Atkins. And it's like the most exciting thing ever because whenever he shows up in anything, it's like the best. And then he's done. And you're like, yeah, Oliver Reed, whatever, Oscar, whatever, Gladiator, (laughs) whatever that is that he did. But he's not Tom Atkins, guys. No. no. Um, But we do get, yeah, Rod Taylor, Oliver Reed, Tom Atkins, triple trifecta right there. That's something we... That's amazing. Oh, I forgot to tell my Rod Taylor story. Oh, Oh, would you like to tell that now? Just real quick, my mom yeah. grew up down the street from Rod Taylor's, and they were childhood friends. What? Yes. Come on. Yes, Come on. true story in Sydney, Australia. Six degrees, folks. Six degrees. Yep. Here we go. Six degrees of Rod Taylor. Six degrees of lavender. And God, I'm, I'm actually looking at the cast list here, and I can't remember. It was a Jacques Mar- Marchand? Marchand? Could that have been Marchand? Could that have been Jacques Marchand. Marchand. But is that the guy? Wee 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 wee. I'm gonna call him wee wee. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't remember, but I do remember the guy. So this is gonna be tough. I think you should just go over the basics, Dan, because I feel like it's already get getting intense. It's getting get intense. Lost. Yeah. So so what happens is, yeah, they they talk about how we have a tough time getting agents, and they're at the airport, and they get surrounded we have by a tour- tough time. <laughs> guys they uh, uh they get surrounded by tourists and suddenly mr lavender lights up and he says wait a minute i've just got the greatest idea For, um we need to get rid of wolfen and i'll explain that in a moment and i figured out where we can get the agents where from the american people and so but, the uh, what there's but they still have to be registered somewhere uh, who uh, who the oh oh yeah yeah they got to be signed up for something right yeah yeah and they like it's uh, lavender does it's not working completely for me at lavender sell me sell me sell it to me lavender sell it to me so yeah so so yeah he can I sell it to you in the way he recruits the people or um however you want to do it but I'm just saying right now I'm going whatever you still got to put their name in a computer because you have to register them to do the assignment right. I, I I felt like that wasn't the case. I felt like um, the way they were able to do it was they could bring the people on and that, well, yeah. I never. Yeah, it would be really yeah, difficult yeah. because Casey and Dougie or whatever his name is, they, uh-huh. they, <laughs> they are, yes, okay, so you'll get into it. But anyway, yeah, I'll let you get into it before we talk about it because I feel like I'm jumping ahead yeah. of things. I'm just well, pointing out like a loophole and it's really stupid because trust me, it's not that important. I, it's 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 a good one. I, I never occurred to me, but but basically, Mr. Lavender goes to uh, the police academy, and he recruits. And Charlie's Angels uh, are there, Steve, isn't it? Recruits, the opening from Charlie's Angels. Exactly. Yeah, he recruits and, Steve Gutenberg and Bubba Smith. T.J. Hooker too. 
Oh my gosh, all of them. Heather Thomas is there. Was she in TJ Hooker? She was, was in so TJ Hooker. Was she? No, she's a fall guy. You're thinking of Heather Locklear. Heather Locklear. Oh, I'm sorry, I got my Heather's wrong. I Don't always did that in the. I always did that in the eighties. No, though. no. I mean, they're both wonderful women, but they're completely unique. I know. Don't blonde shame them. Don't blonde shame them. <laughs> that was that was my error when I was a child. Um, so he goes to uh, Mr. Lavender goes to this police academy. Says, "I need your two best student or your two best uh, cadets. I need to. Uh, they need to join the NIA." And they bring forward Casey Collins, played by Kirstie Alley, and David Dingy Danny Doyle, played by Greg Evigan. And he basically explains to them what they're going to do. They're going to go across the country and they're going to recruit Americans who have specific. Yeah, like they're going to go across the country and recruit like. Uruguayans or something like that. Well, they might. Why wouldn't they? I don't know. I don't want to put them down. Um, but they're going to go around. They're going to recruit American citizens who have specific skills that can help them uh, in uh, bringing about the downfall of Wolfen. And then you see sort of just a montage of they go to meet this guy, uh, Buzzy Beaker, played by Robert Morse, who is in Chicago yeah. and who is the best pickpocket around. And he picks Mr. Lavender's pocket. And he it's a it's a plane ticket. And it's a plane ticket to Paris with his name on it. And basically, Mr. Lavender says, like, you, you, you come with us to Paris for two weeks. I've got something uh, you need. Uh, we need you to do for your country. We'll give you a full year's salary. Although I don't know how that works for a pickpocket. But um, it, that and I just let myself down right there by choosing him first. I should have chosen someone <laughs> okay. who had okay. um, Well, maybe he, I don't know, maybe he fills out a tax return for it. I don't know. Um, but And, and so Beaker, Buzzy Beaker says, oh, okay. And then he goes to New York and he meets a guy named uh, Frank Frank Bannon, who is – I don't know who Frank Bannon is played by. I'm sorry. You'd know him if you saw him, though, folks. I'm sorry. I didn't write down who this uh, was. I can find him for you. Oh, okay, if you don't mind. Um, and Frank is a uh, waiter in a French restaurant in New York oh, City. Oh, yeah, that's Daniel Pylon. And you're right. He's a very famous character actor. But I couldn't tell you exactly what I've seen him in. But I've seen him yeah, in a lot of stuff. Cinema. And and um, but but he's not really French. He's just pretending. But they don't. We we Macron. What did I say earlier? I forget what you said earlier. But now Jean Luc. Jean <laughs> Picard. Jean Luc. If there's a hey, knock at your if there's a knock at your door and Kirstie Alley or Greg Evigan are there, you go. I'm you going. Go. And so he he is called in because he does a great. I I. I do love it. He does a, he I don't think I don't know if he speaks French, but he does a great um not quite like Monty Python and the Holy Grail style French accent, but he does a really good French accent. Uh-huh. And then they go to um I forget where they go to next. They go to <laughs> it's gonna they're, be so they're, good. They they do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um what is it? Oh, they go to Oh, they go to uh uh hold 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 on to your hats, folks. Jerry Pulaski who's in Minnesota or something like that, uh, Ernest Borgnine, yes. best plumber in the U.S. <laughs> and, and and then they pull in um, Mean Willie Walters, played by Richard Roundtree. Oh, so good. Who is a retired uh, football player who apparently kind of lost all his money possibly gambling and is now now works for the phone company. And then they also pull in uh, a gentleman who looks a lot like Oliver Reed, who's a makeup guy, whose name I forget, that you'll, you know, it doesn't matter that you know his name. Um, if you watch the episode, he's the last one introduced. And as they're doing sort of the breakdown of here's what the mission is, you'll see someone and go, isn't that Oliver Reed? 
didn't we see him earlier with the mustache? Yes. And you're like, yes, yes. And, um, oh, did, I forgot one major one. Carla He's Taylor. Here. Carla Taylor, Hollywood star, I think, played by Sybil Shepard. Yeah, this was really interesting because I'm not really sure when Moonlighting started, but um, she was really like a movie star. Yes. At this point, like I, I guess she'd probably done some TV, and I'm just not really aware of what it was. But like this last picture show, Taxi Driver, right? Like, I mean, she did a bunch of movies like that were famous and really well regarded, and so it was interesting to see her just showing up here like as a stewardess. Yes. Yeah, yeah, just for a, just for a few uh, great scenes and stuff. Yeah, she's really good in it. She's very, very yeah, charming. she's actually. she's great in everything. Yeah, she pretty much almost is. Yeah. Is this um, is this all of the people that they recruited? Because I have something to say. I think so. Okay, yeah. so that article I was talking about that compares yeah. it to Scarecrow, Mrs. King, they brought up something really interesting. Um, so uh, I'll just read the whole quote because I'm not sure where it starts. But it says, in addition to adventure, Lavender and his two young assistants entice civilians with the promise of a chance to help your country and a year's salary. Like everything else in Masquerade, this last offer seems overblown. Mrs. King, by contrast, is only a GS7 seasonal employee. I'm not sure who Mrs. King is, but I'll keep going. Um, and her job may not be that extraordinary uh, piece of luck uh, seemed before Mr. Lavender began passing out plum foreign assignments to the truly unqualified. Many of Masquerade's recruits are unemployed or otherwise underutilized by society. So that that really struck me. And then the writer goes on to say, the pilot alone featured an out-of-work actor, a pickpocket who had failed at being a paramedic, and an ex-athlete working for the phone company who had lost all of his money gambling. So I think it's interesting that they're using... Um, middle to lower middle class people mm-hmm. um, in there. And that also harkens back to Scarecrow Mrs. King because Mrs. King was a housewife. Yes. And some of the stuff that she like helped the her agency with, whoever that was, um, was uh, like things like, oh, I was a candy sharper once and we did this. And then all of a sudden that helps them like sort of break into a hospital yeah. and do something yeah. unique. And so so I think it's interesting because the the show is really glamorous in its premise because they're taking them around and getting them involved in espionage. But they're using everyday people so that we can hopefully see ourselves in the characters, mm-hmm. which I think is a really nice touch. Yeah. I agree. There's um, and and I like the fact that everyone has a very specific thing they're doing. Some people, like Sybil Shepherd's character, will have and and Oliver Reed's character will have a bunch of things to do. But some of them will only have a like Ernest Borgnine's character basically has one main thing he has to do, but it's like the big decisive oh, thing. Can we talk about their spouses? Oh, I was going to bring up um, oh, go Ernest Borgnine. Oh, uh, uh, would you like to, please? Well, he's got this wife who never seems happy, and I guess Denise Nichols doesn't either. That would be uh, mean Willie Walter's wife. Um, yes. But uh, but in particular, uh, Jerry is married to Rue McClanahan. So Mr. Pulaski is married to the coolest chick on the planet. And it's really also interesting because this is about a year before Golden Girls. And, you know, up until that point, Rue McClanahan hadn't really played vampy characters on television. I think in film she had done a couple things. But, um, And what I remember her most from in this era was probably Maude and then Mama's Family, both of which she plays kind of plain Jane characters, especially on Mama's Family. She's like the Aunt Fran character yeah. who dies, I think, and when it goes into syndication, they, she doesn't make it from the network to the syndicated version. Anyway, um, so here she's still keeping in line with that sort of plain Jane mm-hmm. thing, but just like literally like months before she became yes. uh, 
Blanche on the Golden Girls. So it's it's a really interesting transformation. Yeah, it is it is fun to see because it's it's sort of introduced as a I think uh, Ernest Borgnine, uh, Jerry is the is I think the last one you see them recruit because the last three Civil Shepherd, Richard Roundtree, and Oliver Reed they they arrive at the airport or they're on the plane. And I think, um, but you see Jerry like, oh yeah, I'll come along, whatever. This will be great. And then you see him with Rue McClanahan, and she's like, I don't know what's going on. This is they, no one just offers you two weeks in Paris, and, I, and it's like, oh my God, it's Rue McClanahan. What the hell? Everybody's <laughs> it's in this. And also, can we talk about the double decker plane? Sure. Yeah, I love a good it, double decker plane. It's amazing. I didn't believe that those really existed, but I had a friend who rode on one as a kid in the seventies, mm-hmm. and he was able to confirm it for me. The first time I remember seeing it is on a, a TV movie called Three on a Date, which is uh, based off a true story about the dating game and the chaperones. Oh. oh, wow. Yeah, it's a really good movie. I was like, God, that looks like the most amazing plane I've ever seen. I guess they have one in Horror at 37,000 feet, too, but there's so few people in that movie, you don't notice that it's a double-decker. But um, And I was like, those aren't real. And my friend Darren was like, they're so real, and I've been on one. <laughs> And I was like, no way. And he was like, totally. And I was like, totally. And he was like, yes. yes. And so that was really exciting. So, but this, so this is like where they sort of introduce them to the glamour because they've got a pianist. Is there a pianist on this flight? Uh, I think the next episode has. Oh, a okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, like they, like it's really decked out and shit. And like, and they yeah. come and get them and they bring them up to the second floor. And on the second floor is this giant monitor. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, there's these really great like couches. And they're like, we're going to tell you what's happening. And everybody's just kind of lounging. And then they have like a like a rap session. I, I think the first time I ever saw a two-story, I think it was Airport 77 has. Oh, one. yeah. I might have seen in that too. I guess I, I didn't think... really recognize it till mm-hmm. three on a date. So, so yeah. So, so they're all on the plane now. And Lavender <clears throat> gives them the full skinny of what's going on. The plan is this guy, Wolfen, is one of the sort of um, craziest KGB members who's killing many of the NIA uh, folks. So, and, so let's make him look stupid, guys. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. He <laughs> says we got, we got. I actually have make him look like an ass. Is what I have. Here. <laughs> He's it's, killed it's, all of our best men who had wives and families. You know what? Let's make him look stupid. It does. It does. When you say it like that, it seems <laughs> underwhelming. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, because that that is the plot of it. Is is rather than trying to. Well, it's true. You know, they annihilate like, him. Yes, or yeah, because what they say is that. Um, he is up for becoming the next head of the KGB, and they can't have that happen. No. And his <laughs> boss, his boss, his bosses are going to show up in Paris, and so they have to set it up so he looks like a buffoon. He looks like an alcoholic. He looks like he's on on the, on the sort of graft from the NIA, and he's just wasting. Uh, he's just a buffoon, is basically what it is. I mean, it's a it's a very bold move for a guy who's a very um, well-known assassin. Yeah. Uh, we're um, just going to make him look dumb. We're going to prank him. Let's <laughs> prank him so hard. Let's prank him so hard, everyday citizens. Are you prepared? Are, are you, you prepared, prepared to prank the KGB? I we think, are. I think Mr. Lavender, yeah, is slightly underselling the, um, <laughs> the, the worry about about Wolfen. Um, so, so that's what they do. And they arrive, and um, uh, oh, the guy who Oliver Reed's playing um, gets photos and and makes himself out like Wolfen, and and um, he gets uh, he he gets some tapes of Wolfen's voice, and he begins imitating him. They sort of arrange a big night out on the town where um, uh, <laughs> it's where stupid. It's it's gloriously kind of dumb. Where Frank 
uh, the, the guy pretending to be the French waiter goes to a big French restaurant that I guess they know that Wolfen and his bosses are going to go to the next night. Frank goes there and pretends like, hello, uh, my name is Frank. No, he doesn't say that. Uh, my name is, um, what is it? What is his name? Jacques? I bet it's Jacques. Something my like that. My name is Jacques and I'm here for my, my brother, uh, Rene. He can't come in tonight. What? You can't just walk into a, the best French restaurant here and da da da. Uh, but Jacques' cred as a good waiter is proven by the fake Wolfen showing up with Sybil Shepherd on his arm and going, oh, Jacques, you're fantastic. And the fake Wolfen is tipping everyone like crazy and ordering all this booze and all this food and all this crazy. And they get getting photos taken. I'm like, uh, you know, well, we'll have this photo for you tomorrow night. That's fantastic. And they do all this stuff just to make out that, that Wolfen is kind of spending a lot of someone's money. And he's got an American gal there, and he's drinking a lot, and he's tipping like crazy. And then they go to a casino where he spends a lot of money, and he he uh, gambles with um, uh, Mean Willie Walters. Right. Although if, if if he lost all his money gambling, I don't know that that's the best. Um, that might be a problem. Yeah, if he's like addicted he to gambling. I don't know that's, that recruiting him to gamble is like is the best. Is the best He's also a football player, guys. There's lots of stuff this guy can do. Yeah. So they they do that, and they kind of they kind of just basically set that the uh, the, <laughs> night, the night before Wolfen is going to hit these joints, they with his bosses they set him up as being kind of a crazy overspending lush. You think the KGB would love that? When they, when they, those the KGB weren't they wacky? You they were so wacky. Folks? Well, I mean, that's how I envision like their leaders. Like being really <laughs> indulgent, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the way we were made to to feel about communism then, and, and is probably true to a degree, is that basically ninety nine percent of the population is dirt poor, and then there's this one percent that live it up. Yes. And so it's like something like um, what's that movie? Uh, Salon Kitty. Oh yeah, sure, yeah, Salon Kitty. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't that like mm-hmm. we're like they're all like torturing everybody, but then they're like having these really great sex lives, and like there's yes. money, and like yeah. you know something like that. You know, we're like, they just do what they want. And, and so, like, him being indulgent is, like, really cool because he's just showing off how good Russians are doing. You know yes. what I mean? But how happy they are. Yeah, but apparently his two bosses um, don't – although they do like when they when they get brought some really nice booze. They drink it, I think. Um, well, who wouldn't? Yeah, true. But, yeah, so so the two, the two guys sh- – uh, the two – like, a general and someone else show up, and they meet up with the – real wolfen and all of a sudden Sybil Shepherd shows up sh- shows up and says like, like wolfie oh wolfie oh wolfie, my god you... i remember last night oh, that's a really yeah. bad impression of Sybil Shepherd, but you know what i thought he... that was a very <laughs> it's good horrible because she doesn't try to make herself sound like a dingling <laughs> but she's like but it's like that kind of really pushy like fun time girl character yes yeah and something like, oh, are your friends coming out? Uh, bring them. You know, I'll have I'll have friends. Oh, does she say that? I forget. But yeah, she does. She does. Like but that, she's yeah. like, because they're so good looking. Yes. Oh, yeah, and no. they are. You, you, yeah. know that, you know that Russian guy, that older Russian guy from the 80s. Well, he was the, <laughs> um, he was the guy who was in all the James Bond films in the 80s. He's not in this. Oh, is that Howard DeSilva? Like. Oh, it... Howard DeSilva. Howard in this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like a pretty famous character actor. And he's one of, yeah. he's General Bresnin. Brezhnev, 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 Yes, and uh, so so she uh, she does that, and they're kind of like, oh hey, what uh, what was that about? I do not know who that woman was. I don't understand. Oh, but and, you know what he said? He said, 
<laughs> I love this scene because he goes, it is too much of a coincidence. And then I actually said, so it must be true. Because <laughs> like, he just didn't remember the night before. Yeah. <laughs> it's too much of a coincidence, guys. I must have been there last night is what I'm saying. I must have uh, gotten shit-faced and gambled. Oh, God. It, it, well, he go. they go to this restaurant and they meet up with um, Jacques. And they basically, it's like, oh, my gosh, he's back. He's going to tip us great. Here's your photo. Here's your booze. Here's your c- cigars you like. Oh, I don't drink. I don't smoke. Yeah, this yeah. photo isn't me. Yeah, exactly. This photo isn't me. I don't tip like that. And his his the, the dudes he's with are like, hey, man, what is, what's going on? He's well, like, now you're hey. a shitty tipper. Yeah, now you're now you're a bad tipper, and you get. I forget exactly when this occurs, if it's here or the casino, but um, someone comes forward mentioning like that he used his American national card, like an American Express card, to pay. Oh, that's right. That's right. And then the, the, our pickpocket shows up and kind of somehow gets like the card in his wallet or gives him a, another wallet with the card. I forget. I forget actually what the pickpocket does apart from that. Um, Nothing. But, yeah, but the pickpocket, like, there's a point where uh, uh, Wolfen opens his wallet and there's this, like, American, I think it's national, card. Yeah. And suddenly his bosses are looking right over his shoulder. This happens several times. Oh, what's that? And his bosses learn that the people who have that card, that's tied in with the NIA. So it's kind of intimated that he is, they, the NIA is oh. helping him tip. Wolfen, wolf, wolfy, 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 baby, wolfy, wolfy. What? And and so and then um uh they go to the casino and Sybil Shepherd is there and Meanwhile Walters is there. Wolfy and they're just there and he's just like something's going on and he like he has a phone conversation where he's like something's happening. This is crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Build... They're making it, me it... look stupid. Yeah, I've killed about... dozens of living people and they're making me look stupid. Like, like a dope. And I love my favorite moment of the making him look stupid is when they they hand him the they show him the photo that fake wolfen took with sybil shepherd the night before and he just looks and goes i wouldn't own a suit like that and i'm looking at the suit go yeah i I can see that because he has like a darker suit and the fake wolfen has like a kind of a navy blue or lighter blue sure they're one they're one mistake in this clever devious plan was Uh, the suit their downfall was the suit Somewhere in there, there's there's stuff like uh, Wolfen's people are are following Sybil Shepherd and uh, oh 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 that's right the pickpocket becomes the guy in the car because th- there's so much going on here folks because about a half an hour before this Mr. Lavender loses his French friend who I'm forgetting is Mar- Jacques Marchand Jacques 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 Marchand Jacques 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 <laughs> I can't do accents at all, so I'm embarrassing myself. I, I brought Amanda on here specifically because the show goes around the world, and she's going to try to do accents for every <laughs> Good show. luck. But but earlier on, uh, Wolfen attacked Mr. Lavender and his friend from the opening in the car, and his friend got killed. And so Buzzy so, Beaker... So let's make him look even stupider now, guys. Yeah, so, so Buzzy Beaker is brought in as the driver because he was an ambulance driver in Korea? Or was it That's Vietnam? Right. I forget. Yeah. And, Something. And so... Yeah, something like that. And so he he's driving, and there's like a sequence where Wolfen's guys are after Sybil Shepherd, and there's a crazy car chase and stuff like that. And there's all kinds of nuttiness. And uh, at one point, I forget exactly why, but uh, Mean Willie Walters is out there sneaking around. Oh, after the casino. That's is right. He trying, is he trying to get home or something like that? But people are keeping an eye well, on him. Yeah, and then his uh, his son his, goes looking for him, right? 
Yeah, because his son thinks he's involved in something drug-related or something bad. So his son shows up, and when like a KGB guy kind of corners Willie, uh, his son does something and saves the day, and they and Willie says like, "I'm working for the government." It's like, "Hooray!" And I knew scene, that, Daddy. I knew you were doing I knew, something I knew it good, all the Daddy. Time. And at one point, one of Wolfen's men kind of smooth talks Rue McClanahan and almost gets her to give up what's going on. But uh, the, oh, that's right, didn't take much. And, uh, yeah, everyone shows up, and Sybil Shepherd shows up and says, like, what are you talking to her for? I thought you were my guy, or something like that. And they punch out the guy. And it all sort of culminates uh, with things are looking really bad for Wolfen, and his bosses are... <laughs> his bosses. But wouldn't it have been great if Blanche had been married to Ernest Borgnine, and they had put her as a plant? Oh, my gosh, wouldn't that have been fun? Yes. To, I, that's the kind of gal that Wolfen goes for. Apparently. So, I kind of go for a Rue McClanahan kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, a Blanche. Nobody can turn down yeah. Blanche Devereaux. No, 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 no. I, I guess we'll move it towards the ending, but cause, just because the... Um, the good guys win, but but the, I, 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 the 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 what Ernest Borgnine's character does is gives the game away basically. Uh, but I want to say what he does, but maybe I'll hold off for a minute. But there's basically a point before the final big scene where um, Jerry Pulaski does his plumbing thing is a moment, yeah, where more or less um, Lavender offers Wolfen asylum, but he doesn't take it. They shouldn't and... be offering Wolfen nothing. Like I'm wa- the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like really. Because, first of all, nobody gets away with killing Tom Atkins. Yes. Nobody. And secondly, there are so many times they could have just popped a cap in his ass. And look, I don't think violence should beget violence. <laughs> but, like, if they're so concerned about him taking over the KGB and he's so horrifying and he's totally yeah. getting these lists from somebody. And I don't did they ever find the hacker? Like the guy I who was. I don't think they do. Shouldn't they have been looking for the guy passing information? Because you can get rid of Peter Sergov, but there's going to be somebody else to fill his boots if, yeah. as long as they yeah. can keep getting the list. So maybe like, that, I was just saying maybe that was a, the season finale if it had gone a full season. Yeah, I feel like they went after the wrong guy, and this whole like let's make him look bad like is uh, yeah. I'll, ad- shoot I'll him. admit it's yeah. I, I guess we could talk about what we thought of the episode, but yeah, I do I do admit that it's a it's an interesting ta- uh, uh, sort of tactic for Glenn A. Larson to follow, not like. You know, let's try to eliminate him, but let's try to humiliate him and hope that his bosses take him out. It's it's and I, I mean, in a way, it's interesting because it's almost like uh, the U.S. taking the higher road. So it's like mm. we have men who've sacrificed. I'm guessing this is the approach, but I don't know. We have had these men who have died for our country, right? Like Tom Atkins, right? Mm. And so they've died in in saving their country, and it's patriotic and whatever, and honorable. Uh, but we are going not going to rise to the level of the Russians and oh. the KGB. And what we're going to do is we're going to discredit people and we're going to build, break down the hierarchy mm-hmm. through this sort of means, which is sort of like a higher road tactic. And then, and and we're not gonna we're not gonna lower ourselves down to this violent nature that they have. Now that's probably not what they were thinking at the time, but I think you could argue that since the show I think is a thinly veiled, hardcore patriotic kind of show. When you look at all the elements. Then I wouldn't be surprised if, like, there was some sort of propaganda, maybe not intentionally embedded in there, but that can be read in it while you watch the show. I mean, that's that would be my argument for having them do it this way. But but to to make it like this, I like the show and I like this this pilot, but I feel like 
it's it could have either gotten really like dark and serious, which would have been really amazing, or they could have made it uh, more knowingly funny. Yeah, it's yeah. I think it's in it's in sort of a strange place where you you. It's like it's like you know not to uh, not to I, I guess to say this, but like like the Manimal pilot, I feel is a little sharper um, from what? this time period. <laughs> I I think I think. Uh, <clears throat> Because the manimal, it's about a guy turning into an animal. That's already ridiculous. Yeah, I know, but they keep showing the same three things. Like, when he changes, he could be indoors, but it's like the outdoor bird. Yeah, I know. But, you know, you got to you got to uh, take your budget into account. I feel like Masquerade had a much larger budget than Manimal. I feel like Masquerade had a lot going for it, but it felt like they either overstepped or understepped. I, I think, because as I watch this episode, I get about halfway into it, and I think, okay, it's it's fun what they're doing. It's almost uh, It's almost like farce sort of what they're doing um but is it quite correct for a cold-blooded assassin KGB yeah assassin? and and, and it, it's also tricky because apart from a few moments it it feels to me um the uh, uh the search the tv show i mentioned a while ago there uh the the tv movie not the pilot because it was a, it was a tv movie that the two-hour tv movie called probe uh, is is about there are a lot of episodes of that show that are about like a lot of people are going to die and we have to do something but the probe tv movie is um they found these eight rare diamonds and we have to go to switzerland and find them to me which is like okay that's not pressing that doesn't you know and right. so 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 the the probe tv movie actually the first time i watch it put me to sleep um i really enjoy it now but it was the show itself that grabbed me so it was almost like they. they it was Hugh O'Brien who grabbed me, Dan. They, oh boy! Oh yes. Boy. I, I think I got grabbed by Doug McClure, to be honest. Yeah. You know me and Doug I McClure. Don't yeah. I don't um, know. Hugh O'Brien. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tony Franciosa has his charms. <gasps> he does. He does. <laughs> I like him a lot. He does. I do. I do too. He was married oh. to Shelley Winters for a while. Is that the guy from really? Tenebrae, Right. Yeah. 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 He was married to yeah. Shelley Winters, and I can't even imagine really? what that was like. Like two such uh, exploding personalities in the same room together, like all the time. Wow. Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine that. I didn't know that. Um, but I, I feel like Probe and this are kind of doing the same thing where they have a pretty darn good premise, but in setting up the premise, they sort of underselled what they can do. Yeah, uh, if that, if well, but sense. so many pilots are like that. Like, there's so yeah, many pilots yeah, where you watch well, it, and it doesn't even feel like the series. And yeah, so exactly, yeah. you have to always take pilots with a grain of salt, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think this one does a pretty good job. It's, it lays down, like, the basics of what you can expect, at least, mm-hmm. in terms of, okay, uh, high-caliber guests. I mean, they pulled in Oliver Reed and Sybil Shepard, Richard Roundtree, Robert Morris. I mean, these are all really great. Denise Nicholas. I mean, like, we're talking really good actors. Ernest Borgnine. So you're going to see people that you recognize. um, And you're going to go somewhere really glamorous and exotic. And you're going to see people running around and doing espionage. And so, like, it almost doesn't matter if the story's that good. I mean, it would help. But, like, (laughs) it's really just eye candy. It's it's interesting because the way it ends is more or less, and I don't know if this is a spoiler. It's more or less with Oliver Reed in the shower and at his sink. That's kind of the. Oh my god! Of it's it. the Bobby Ewing ending. <laughs> it really. It's all a dream. It's all a dream, it's all a dream. Uh, Wolfen. A... Oh, that that was the. Uh, so that's the way the season is going to end with. They find out who the person giving out the codes or the whatever is the the names, and then all of a sudden, Oliver Reed's in the shower. 
and it all rolls back. And for we've been season. dying to see Oliver Reed in the shower. We are, we are, and Morgan, <laughs> and Morgan Brittany tried to kill Oliver Reed, and uh, oh, we had so much stuff happen. I only can think of him wrestling naked with Alan Bates. Oh yeah, that's what I'm thinking of right now. That's yeah. exactly and, what I'm thinking of, guys. And, 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 in the devils, yeah. yeah. Was that with the movie? I never. I've only. I've. Oh no, he was. Uh, was it? Was it? Was it? Woman in Love. It was Love? a Maid's Tale or something like that. Was it okay? Something yeah, like I, I, I. Somebody will know. I, I just know yeah. that I recently watched a BBC documentary about the BBFC mm-hmm. and about the video nasties, and they were talking about like how film was opening up, and then they were like the Oliver Reed Alan Bates wrestling scene in this movie was like really controversial, and then they showed it because on BBC they don't they apparently don't edit things, and so mm-hmm. I was like whoa. Whoa! Whoa! I I, I do forget what movie that is. Yeah, I feel like it's called a main tale or something, but I'm probably totally wrong. Anyway, it's a famous scene, and so when I see Oliver Reed naked, that's the first place my mind goes to, (laughs) and and I think about it for a little while, mostly because Alan Bates is in that scene. Because Alan Bates, hey, honey, but like, um, anyway, yeah. So then he ends up in the shower, which is where we wanted him in the first place, right? Mm Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they, uh, I guess I'll tell you what what um, Mr. Borgnine's uh, contribution is. They go into the sewers of France <laughs> and they mess up his shower. And they mess up his shower. They literally, what they do is they turn off the water and put in gin. So as his bosses are coming up the steps, he suddenly like the water hits him in the face. He opens his mouth and it's all gin. And he goes stumbling out of there, spitting it out and everything. And the sink, the taps are just spraying Jim. So now his face is like my dream. Yeah. <laughs> this is this beautiful dream. Oh, and where's the tonic, the guys? Can you shoot a little tonic my way? <laughs> because I'm ready. <laughs> tonic in the hot and gin in the cold. Oh. And he's covered He's covered with gin. And he goes out, uh, pulls in someone from the staff at the same time. Oh, and, and as he's out, they flush the lines and put the water back of on. Of course. So, so, um, so they, uh, that's why you bring in Ernest Borgnine. And, and, you need the uh, world's best plumber to put gin into it. the sewage system of France. It's already there, guys. It's France. <laughs> it's France. Come, come on, folks. And, yeah, like vodka would be in Russia. You'd have yeah. hot, cold, and <laughs> vodka. And and so, yeah, the, the staff guy comes up, and he's like, what's going on? What is going on? And, and, and uh, Wolfen is saying, check this crap out. There's gin in my taps, and his bosses are right be again, right behind whatever's happening what's but it's all water now and they say you smell like you've been drinking all night long and that's the point when it breaks down like like, you're coming back to moscow with us and he knows if he goes back to to moscow with them he'll end up in siberia or something like that oh god they pranked him hard yeah big time and remember the jimmy kennedy experiment i do yeah that that's what happened right here guys the first jimmy kennedy experiment happened on the pilot of masquerade and it's it's I I do like the thought that Glennie Larson sort of came up with this idea that we need to how are we going to get rid of this KGB assassin prank him just have yeah. fun with him you know just, goof yeah we need a plumber goof yeah <laughs> we need a plumber a pickpocket we, uh, we need a guy who's addicted to gambling and then we're going to suck him back into it you know and we need a guy who does a really great French accent you mean a Frenchman no <laughs> a guy who does a really great French accent. What if they what if they want him to speak French? So Shh. why are you here, Mr. Lavender? Well, it turns out you do a better French accent than anybody else in America. And you're a damn good waiter. We'd love to bring you on an espionage adventure with us. There is I mean I, I guess the thing with masquerade is you is you, you let it you let it roll over you. 
and you just enjoy going from scene to scene of what they're going to do next. You know because what's if you... interesting, though, is the show is called Masquerade. And so now if I could re-envision the show for everybody, it would be mm-hmm. kind of interesting if they took people who were good at what they did, but more like a good at what they did as like a hobby so that they could live that life for a little while. Oh, so like yeah. it's like if you were really good at karaoke, but like no record executive was ever going to come see you because you're like in Twin Falls, Iowa or something, mm-hmm. then like they would send you somewhere like New York City or Paris and um or london and then you would sing like in a nightclub you know what i mean and you would masquerade yourself as like this up-and-coming pop star oh yeah like that would be fun because then it would give the title like a second meaning yeah that that would be and then they could just give them a certain amount of money rather than the one year salary or something like that right or say hey we'll get your record deal or like buy them that way or something like they can live out their fantasy or whatever but but i mean i feel like getting a stewardess to be a stewardess which she doesn't yeah. do actually. She actually does masquerade, but like, you know what I mean? It's like I feel like I feel like maybe they can indulge in their fantasies a little more because Ernest Borgnine's like a plumber. So yes, he gets yeah. to take this really good trip, but he's working the whole trip. So it would have been neat if they found out he's like really into cigars. So they get a cigar expert to like trick, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, wolfing into doing something. And so I just feel like maybe they could have done other things with it. I feel like I'm putting the show down. and I don't want to do that. It's really no, good. No, no. No, no, it it is super fun. I think no, I I actually I I like that that thought there. I mean, because I do like the thought of you know maybe Ernest Borgnine was a um, some sort of wonderful entrepreneur, but in his spare time he did some plumbing, you know, and they just wanted to <laughs> to to bring him out, you know, and just like that, take your time, indulge, you know. Well, he's super he's it, super into putting gin in people's sinks, and they get so frustrated, <laughs> and they thought, well, let's do it here for good use. We, yeah, you can you can help your country. You can get rid of this horrible. Assassin. We need thirty thousand yeah. pounds of gin now. <laughs> we did, and I do like the, the 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 um the the like the jug or the container of gin is marked gin. <laughs> well, that's important. So, so so like they had one marked whiskey, but they were like, don't bring that one. That's for when we go to. That's so that's when we prank uh, the uh, Gaddafi. <laughs> that's yeah. We're gonna we're gonna go to Spain and take care of someone, and we need the whiskey. Yeah, where's Castro? Of course, Castro probably yeah. already smells like Cuba. whiskey. Yeah. So. Possibly, yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, that's the, that's the plot, everyone, and that's what we thought of it. Um, well, you did what, a really good job because, like, I kind of forgot about the plumbing part mm. because I feel like that review where it loses its plausibility, I think that's what Variety said. You know, like, when I'm watching it, it just starts to, like, just be people walking. Yeah, yeah well, they do. They do have a scene that I forgot where they actually show like Greg Evigan and someone else breaking into his bathroom. Yes. And yes, jiggering around, jiggering the pipes. So it isn't like they they it's it isn't an exact match. They actually do something to fix it up. What they do, I don't know. I'm no plumber. No. Um, well, we, too bad Ernest Borgnine isn't with us any longer because we could get him on here and ask no. him. He would know exactly what they did. He'd remember his moments with Rue, but he wouldn't remember anything else. I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. Well, um, they're, they're kind of in like a sewery set at one point too, and he's in a boat, so he might remember that. Well, he's super into he's super into like that method acting, so he became a plumber for like a month. <laughs> and he got it, and then he said, "So what are you doing in this? I'm putting gin through someone's shower." Okay, that's very specific. <laughs> we just we just called you to unplug the toilet. No, I got to do this too, guys. I got yeah. I got to Can you can you just go in your shower real quick? I apologize. I'm just gonna spray some oh, water. Ernest, Ernest, what did you do? I need some water. It burns. And then they go to it the burns. Sink. It burns. If yeah, wouldn't it? Wouldn't would gin burn? If you had ouchies. Yeah. Like for instance, oh. it's summer here, and there's lots of mosquitoes, so I have several bug bites. Mm-hmm. So if I get into a shower made of gin, 
That's an ouchie. That's an ouchie. That's a super ouchie. That's yeah. a mega ouchie, yeah. Oof, Borg 9. <laughs> Borg uh, 9! Borg uh, Let's see. Um, I think that's sort of one other thing about this, because we've talked about this for a while now. Congratulations. I think I forget how, how long we always talk about stuff, which is awesome. One, one thing, and I think you get this too with this show, is, and we mentioned this slightly, but there's this weird feeling as you're watching the show that at some point or other, and I don't, I don't know if I'm quite getting this right, but at some point or other, you kind of give up on paying attention to the plot and just watch what's happening. Yeah, and that's, there's a joy in that, you know, because yeah. like uh, just a few years later, and actually this show probably foreshadows like the murder she wrote. Now, murder she wrote is a little better written, and it's also concentrated more on smaller casts for the most part, mm-hmm. with the exception of the pilot, maybe in a couple episodes, but. That sort of comfy mystery thing that, you know, like um, Father Dowling became and um, all those shows that were so good. And, like, it's basically like you grab a, a little glass of tea, cup of tea, and your favorite blanket, and you get a cat at your feet. And you sit down on your couch, and you put on one of those shows, and it doesn't even matter. And those shows were dark because people were getting murdered. Yeah. And you just watched it because there were famous people and it was comforting and it had some humor in it. And like Jessica Fletcher was amazing and like Father Dowling was great. And so like um, this show sort of predates that. I'm not saying there weren't shows before that that did it, but like the rage of, of Cozy Mysteries came just a couple years later. And this is, I guess, Cozy, cozy Espionage maybe, where it's oh, just yeah. meant for you to sit there and be like, oh, Ernest Borgnine, he's so great. You know what I mean? Tom Atkins, uh-huh. oh, my God. Oh, Civil Shepherd's wonderful. And just, like, have your little cup of tea and just let them do all the work. And you just, like, your brain just kind of goes into a space that's very comfortable, you know? It was very tough for me to keep the focus on the plot. Yeah. Here. I really, I have a lot of notes written because I don't know that it actually matters. It's just sort of about watching these lovely locations and these fun actors just doing stuff. I mean, it's like when, when, obviously, like when they take the fake wolf in and goes in with Sybil Shepherd and they're doing stuff, you're seeing very clearly like all the tipping, the booze, the cigars, yeah. the photos. So then when he, it's like Back to the Future. You see all the stuff in the first like 20 minutes of Back to the Future, and then the rest of it is um, uh, completing the jokes. And that's almost what this is like here. So when Wolfen returns with his bosses and they bring him all the stuff, you're like, oh boy, wah, wah. It's it's just, and and there are bits like, like I said, with the pickpocket guy, I completely forgot that he was the driver in this because that doesn't really all that important to it. They should give him two salaries, to be honest. Yeah, he should, I guess. Yeah. Um, Because he's working extra hard here. Oh, oh! I actually have it on right now, and Greg Evigan is doing plumbing stuff with Ernest Borgnine. Well, really interesting uh, fact that uh, I don't know if it's a fact. What I want to say, observation I made just now is thinking. I'm looking at a picture of Kirstie Alley, mm-hmm. and I'm going, "Whoa, Kirstie!" But like, this is before she really hit it big, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to think that this show ran against Cheers, and yeah. then just a couple years later, she was the star of Cheers. Yeah, yeah, I think that the only major thing she'd been in was Star Trek Two, I believe. Um, Blind Date, that oh, Blind Date, Greek movie, Armand, what's that guy's name? Nico Mas. Is it, is it Nico Mastriosis? Or yeah, something I don't know how to like say that? his name. Mastriosis. He's really good. He yeah. did Zero Boys and um, did a lot of good movies. But um, yeah, she was in that. Yeah, she's That's in Runaway, true. right? Is she in Runaway? I don't remember if she's in Runaway. I'll say she is though. I think she was. Good. I think she. That sounds good sounds good yeah but it's it's i i think the thing with the show and as we go through it we'll see whether or not we're right is it's it's um it's sort of glenn a larson it is most like just put it on <laughs> get it out of my face just it. produced i created it 
<laughs> do what you want, guys. I'm done. Yeah, that, that could be because I think he only writes like one more of them. Normally, he writes a lot more. Well, let's take um, let's take a real quick look here because I know we're going to wrap it up. The, the, I say the, there is a one fun scene where uh, um, Lavender keeps taunting Wolfen, and there's a fun scene with a phone booth and a shooting about two thirds of the way through it when they're really giving Wolfen the raz. And I wish they called it that. I said we're really going to give this KGB assassin the raz. So, <laughs> so it's interesting also to note that Masquerade replaced Trauma Center, which was also a Glenn A. Larson production. Um, <laughs> so this year, yeah, he did he did Manimal, Trauma Center, Auto Man, Masquerade, Cover Up, which is very much like this, but I don't remember it well enough to comment on it. And Knight Rider, uh, The Fall Guy, um, oh, Magnum PI, which I don't really know how involved he was in that, but it's obviously his best show from this era. Um, Battlestar Galactica also being one of his best productions, but that was right before this. Um, and then a couple of TV movies I saw here, Terror at Alcatraz, Rooster, Fritz and Bones, which I, th- I think was a pilot movie. And so he was really busy. And like Flynn uh, was right after this. So, you know, you can't really concentrate yeah. when you're yeah. doing 90,000 things at once. Yes. And not, not like we said, not that this is, is not super entertaining. This is 90, uh, 92, 72 minutes of fun. It's, it's just, um, it's not like, you know, it ain't. It's not character know. driven, and it's it's I, not even really plot driven. It's just no, it is. It's just about going to pretty places. It's about it's about people who have hard lives. It's very Aaron Spelling in its approach. It's about people who work nine to five on their grind every day and come home and want to see something glamorous and nice. That that's what it is, and it's it's sort of like you don't get the full. It isn't like a Mission Impossible where you get the full layout of what's going to happen, and then they do it, and things go wrong. This you sort of get. You don't quite know what everyone's going to be doing until they're kind of doing it, which in some ways is is fun, but in other ways doesn't give you a full like, I don't know what's happening next, and I maybe didn't fully understand what just happened, but I'm here, and I'm enjoying it. And it's fun. I mean, it's, the cast is great. The music is lovely. The locations are fun. And you get to see, you know, them, uh, you know, uh, making a goof out of uh, Oliver Reed. It's hilarious, guys. It's hilarious. And there's lots of gin. So. so much gin. Yeah. So do you, do you have anything else on this? I think I've said everything I want to say. It's a masquerade, guys. True. It's a masquerade. Grab your Apple phone and join us. Uh, join. And please, uh, Amanda, where can we find you online and what are you up to? Oh, my God. Uh, MadeForTVMayhem.com is where I guess I try to post things, but I haven't been able to get on there as much as I'd like. But I guess follow me on Twitter at MadeForTVMayhem. Thank you so much for joining Thank me. Thank you. We got, uh, we got 12 more fun episodes here, folks. 12? And I... Well, I can't do it. <laughs> it's going to be great. You'll love it. You'll love it. Trust me. Um, and I, I, I'm just going to ask one question, and there's no there's no real prize for this. Maybe I can think up something. But folks who have seen the episode, I'm looking at the cast list from the end. Could you please tell me, and this is how I'm going to end it, Fifi was played by Katia Christine. Who the hell is Fifi? Get back to me. I think I know who it is. Maybe. Oh, oh boy. Thursday. The United States of America would like to invite you to come spy with me. Average Americans are recruited into the world of real spies. Untrained agents running around the world. New times require new methods. Everyday people are about to take on the KGB. Why? Your country needs you. Fly to Paris on the premiere of television's newest spy game, Masquerade. Thursday, starting at 9.30, 8.30 Central and Mountain, right after the premiere of Ottoman.